Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Between Realities VR podcast here on the home of all things Between Realities, Between Realities on YouTube, <laughs> also available on your favorite audio podcast platform. Thank you for joining us. My name is Alex VR. I am one of the hosts of this magnificent program, and I am joined here, as always, by my co-host, Skiva. Dude. How's it going? What's up, man? You nailed that title again. I'm feeling good. good. Job. Yeah, the, awesome. I, we're gonna stop. Um, we're gonna stop recognizing it from here on out. Sure. This is the last time. Okay, fine. I was okay, I, fine. <laughs> I felt I felt good about it. Thank you for giving it to me. <laughs> we're gonna expect it at this point. Now. Right on. Moving on from here, we're expecting it. Season well, four, we've we've made the switch. Well, what a time in VR, right? I mean, this week, this month has been bananas, but this week. Uh, just just takes the cake. So. You know, I have I'm to excited. say though, man, I feel I like I miss you. You know, like a lot of times these weeks they like they yeah. fly by and it's like, whoa, it's Friday already. You know, but yeah. like I felt like this week was like yeah. a long one. You yeah. know, and like I didn't have a chance to talk with you much about any of the stuff that's been happening. You know, and it's like it's good to be here. You know, I'm, I'm glad oh, that we're cool. doing it. Awesome. Let's talk about it today. Yeah. And you know, we're not going to do it alone. Yes, this is true. We got some peeps. We've got some peeps, as yep. we always do. You know, one of, uh, I think maybe my favorite aspect of this show is the opportunity to connect intimately with so many people who share our passion, who share our vision, who understand that virtual reality is truly amazing. And uh, today's guests, I would say, are no exception to that. Um, the Virginia Philosophy Reality Lab is an interdisciplinary coalition of educators and researchers at Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, and joining us today from the Virginia Philosophy Reality Lab is Dr. Andrew Kissel and John Shaw. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. What's up, guys? Hey, how's it going, y'all? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having us. <sighs> Dude, this is great. You know, um, we've, like, known each other, right, for a, a quite a little while now, and, and now here we are, like, meeting, and it's, mm -hmm. it's so awesome. You know, you guys have been a supporter of our show for quite a while and uh it means the world to us you know it really does these guys were behind our our quest two giveaways two of them yeah two, helped two us quest really push this channel forward and got vr into the hands of people and <laughs> skiva did this whole thing with the bio data theft unit hashtag and they were 100 percent behind it and it was just so <laughs> awesome so thank you guys so much for uh your support of this show and the vr community it's a pleasure to have you here with us thanks guys thanks for coming it's a pleasure to be here yeah, awesome. man, that, that, this stuff's easy, man. Like, we, you, know, <laughs> you guys are doing it's awesome. Hey, well, always down to get behind good people, man. Awesome. Very cool. Yep, yep, yep. So as Skiva was mentioning, it's been a pretty crazy week. It's actually it's been a crazy month, if we're going to be real about yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. In the world of VR. For sure. Um, you know, yesterday was Facebook Connect, if we can call it that, which I yeah, guess and, we can. And I even. guess we should say that we are not live right now yes for people watching yes yep yeah we were we were watching carmack talk all the way up we were like on our phones right before we got onto this yeah. call like watching his <laughs> thing so carmack i think is still talking right now in the real world but today is yesterday for you guys and um you know we just watched the facebook connect meta connect right facebook has now changed it was interesting the company name to meta um i think the the connect is probably a good place to start don't you it is yeah so yeah facebook is now called meta which is which is interesting right i mean there's a few reasons here and a few reasons they gave and uh you know they are they are really pushing forward to to become uh, a metaverse company and not just be known for things like a social media website because this is the future 
Uh, Zuck knows that. Everyone on Facebook knows that. We are we are heading towards an all digital, uh, virtual reality and augmented reality future, and it's an exciting one. And uh, you know, for me, I, you know, this is a little bit like. Uh, like the birth of IOI from Ready Player One, right? I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, let's be real. These guys definitely have a little bit of an agenda behind them, right? They want to record everything we do in these worlds, um, uh, all of that. So, so, but it's interesting. It's interesting that these guys are pouring ten billion dollars, I think, a year, right? That, well, in, that's what they this. said that they did yeah. this year. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, uh, so interesting stuff. yeah, John, maybe you can uh, kind of kick us off here a little bit. You know, what did you have any feelings kind of, uh, I, I know you said you were kind of catching up on some of the, the headlines. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. We, a couple of us at, at work were watching it live. Um, just, you know, we, we kind of have that privilege going in. And so we were watching it and it was, it was just very interesting. We, you know, we being in the community, you kind of know what's kind of coming, you know, we didn't know what the name was going to be, but enough people were like, yeah, these guys are going to change their name. For me, it was interesting to listen to them really more or less talk about where they see things going. So I think it was a slightly different from previous ones. Generally, there was always like a hardware announcement, and they did. You know, they did talk about this new hardware. But uh, it was interesting. It was more or less them kind of trying to have this kind of conversation. And I will say it, it felt a little weird. And I don't know if that's just my own bias against Facebook. I don't think so. If it's just, <laughs> I have very strong opinions about that. Um, hence the entire, like, Quest giveaways, right? Like, a lot of this stuff, it's all connected. It's really... From my perspective, it's, it's really interesting, right? Like, I got the headset thinking that, you know, hey, I need to keep up with it as a developer. It's for my job. But I bought it and then realized, you, wait a second, this thing's, like, hooked at the hip with my Facebook account, and I want this separation. And so it was interesting to find out that, you know, they didn't talk about that in, in the in the live um, presentation, but in the interviews and in some of the other content that's dropped, they've mentioned that now they're going to pull that back a little bit, and they're going to have, like, different authentication services and separation of companies and logins. So I think they heard that, but it's still, you know, we all know it's still all connected, right? Well, well, and it is, it is all connected, right? And it's going to be, I think, I mean, I, I, I am not behind the scenes at Facebook, but I can't imagine a time where they won't have your Facebook account tied to your meta account, and then you'll be logging in with your meta account. Their only concern is being able to know it's you and then put your data behind you. Right. And yeah. then learn yep. about every individual citizen and what they do and what their likes are and what so they can, you know, give us some yep. advertising. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this is this is definitely I feel like a little kind of a, a play on words or a way to maybe kind of steer away from some of the bad publicity that they are getting for requiring um, something like a Facebook account and, and forcing kids to get into social media uh, before they're ready mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, things like that. So it's it's interesting to think about these things and how they are going to kind of push forward. And I, I don't know. It's it's all it's all interesting. And the name Meta is also interesting. Yeah. What do you what do you think, Andrew? I was going to say totally informal poll. I'm, you know, teaching a bunch of 18 to 23 year olds right now. And, you know, I've used Facebook mostly as a professional tool for advertising philosophy events and things like that. And all my students are saying, we're not on Facebook anymore. And that was then translating to, to their VR interest. They're like, yeah, VR seems really cool, but I'm going to get the one that goes with my PlayStation rather than the one that Facebook puts out. So I can see them finding it appealing the name change, but I'll be interested to see how much of that leftover Facebook residue is going to be there for, for, you know, the college scene students that I'm interacting with in day in, day out like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, I that's mean, definitely the, their target, right? Like, you know, again, they're they're you know, we we we're seeing some of this information comes out from some of these you know internal sources, and then you're you know they know they know that they are behind. They know that they're losing and they're going to lose in the long run. And so what what a, they've known for a while clearly, and so it makes a lot of sense to make a big pivot. And not only, you know, from our, so from our community, we know this is where it's going, right? We, I think if you've been in VR for a couple of years now or any of these things, whether you're a developer, whether you're a you know, user, whether like you guys, you know that this is where it's going. This, mm -hmm. Everything's going to come together, internet, data, personal space, virtual space, all this stuff. It's all coming together and it's going to create a very interesting, you know, I don't know shit storm to spay right in one end and 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 i think you get into the heart of what really i think they were trying to what he was really trying to get at but it's again it has this baggage right like i i don't i really was i kind of just took back i wasn't expecting what they said today but at the same time i'm like yeah but you, your guys business model it's it's ripe for like let's let's just look what's going on right now in the media you know and that's mm -hmm. the stuff that scares the hell out of me because you think the personal invasion is one thing on your phones, which is pretty evasive. Mm -hmm. You all know what's happening with these things, man. It's it's only yeah. gonna get more, 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 and more. Yeah, man. it's it's interesting timing for all this, right? Because we have whistleblowers coming out. We have people saying, "I've seen the data. I've seen what they can and can't do," and they do not care. They are they are purposely leaning towards the 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 more profitable options. And there's no one to regulate that. There's no one to fight for the people, right? It's all about uh, a company that is allowed to hide. Um, their findings and do their own studies and interpret them the way they want uh, without uh, any third-party regulation. And John, he, he, you know, he makes a point that I honestly have not really thought of yet, and it's the fact that Facebook is losing. Like we we're always thinking about Facebook as this like this leader, like this thing mm -hmm. they own everything, like they are the biggest company in the fucking universe. But at the end of the day, TikTok is like annihilating them, you know, and people would rather use Instagram and like all these other platforms are definitely becoming way more popular, especially amongst young people. Mm -hmm. And Facebook is now kind of becoming known as like boomer paradise. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I mean, all these kids don't want to go in there with their parents totally. on there and their grandparents on there. Totally. No one wants to be so, in there. So like, let's look at MySpace, yeah. right? Like MySpace was like the initial social media that got everyone mm -hmm. hooked. And then once people figured out that Facebook was way cooler, MySpace is stuck there and they have to pivot. And they're like, shit, what are we going to do? Well, people kind of yep. use our platform for music. So they leaned into the music thing and what happened? It fucking yeah, failed. They fell off the cliff. And, and it's a great, it's a great, segue for a lot of the like philosophical concepts right like think about this right how are they going to take all of this information they're just going to use the old model man they're, we all know it like yeah. they're not just going to magically go oh, we're this great no 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 no. you guys have got a hardened model you you know how to get at people you know what people are interested in you know way more information and all these connections across massive networks and they're just going to get deeper at a level to where it's very scary. And I, I always like get up, I always get a little like sidetracked on this stuff because I love talking about it, but it's a, it could be a deep, dark hole totally. of like, yeah, like, and people have a hard time now comprehending what type of information you can connect just with a phone. You know, there's always the memes about like, you know, people fighting for like freedoms of this and then they're like, well, hey, do you have your phone in your pocket? Well, hey, I mean, come on, right. like, you know, yeah. that's like whatever you're saying to. is contradicting by you having a phone. So unless you're off in the hills somewhere and you've got your tin hat on, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Or in a philosophy classroom where your professor makes you turn your phone off. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, you talk about, like, eye track. Like, people don't even understand, like, the research behind eye tracking and, the like, the amount of data and insight you can oh get my God. is insane. Truly. 
they 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 will register shit that you're doing at a subconscious level that you didn't and even know. Will know more about you right. than, than you, you know. Do. That's correct. That's right. That's yep. right. And you, and you see it now with the way even targeted ads are being targeted to your friends, your peers, your your significant other others, right? So if my uh, my wife is looking at something of interest, all of a sudden I'm getting ads, and I'm like, what the hell is this shit? And I know how this stuff works. So I'm like, why the hell am I getting this? And I'm like, hey, man, what have you been up to? She's like, oh, I've been Googling all types. I'm like, oh, that's why. So like, and so, and people don't even understand like that piece. And it's just going to get at a very deeper level. And you get into like, I think what, you know, Alex, as you're saying, it's, there's a subconscious here that you, we don't even know. Right. And yeah, like, your eye flicks insight. and looks at something like you didn't register that, but they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 almost like, you know, you in, in, in modeling and sim, you know, you, there's this term called black box. You don't know what's going on inside. You put some stuff in, you get some stuff out right? And this black box, and you have a concept called white box. It's almost like they kind of have a black box, right? But they know, like, to them, it's a white box. To us and everybody else, it's this black box. We don't, it's, we, we don't know what's going on inside, but they they know. Mm-hmm. And they can play it off as much as, as they, and I say they because it's not just uh, Meta or Facebook. I don't know what to call them anymore. Right. <laughs> it's general privacy invasion. It's at some level. And as these sensors and things, they get closer to us. That's all the progression of tech is closer to us. The closer it gets to us, the deeper it gets, right, mm-hmm. subconsciously, all that stuff. And so I'm, that's what worries me is I don't think people are ready, personally. I'll, I'll jump in real fast to go a little bit doomer and gloomer before maybe trying to be a little bit more optimistic about <laughs> it. You know, I, I, I teach uh, philosophy at Old Dominion. I get to interact with kids as young as 16 in, in my classes regularly. And I ask them, you know, what social media are you on right now? And they say residingly no to Facebook. But then I ask, so where are you? And one student uh, just the other day said, whatever you teachers are on, we're not on that one. Oh. <laughs> right? So it's like, oh, well, that, that helps burn. me know that I'm <laughs> never going to bump into you. But, you know, one of one of the concerns that we talk about, uh, Old Dominion has a very large uh, uh, racial minority population for a university. And the algorithms that are being used are designed by a bunch of older white male engineers. And they're not thinking about, <laughs> like me and John, right? Um, <laughs> but, and they're not thinking about the way that these algorithms are going to perpetuate systems of injustice for the racial minorities that are using them. So in addition to these sort of privacy worries, it's this worry that, People are going to get funneled towards, you know, further racist systems uh, unbeknownst to them. So that's the further doom and gloom that I'm worried about as well with regards to these privacy issues. But again, in in talking to my students, they're kind of like, this is news that we've known all along. And and perhaps, John, you're right that they don't understand the great depth towards which you can basically reconstruct a person based off of their metadata. But they're saying we've been monitored We've been uh, stereotyped for years, but social media is allowing us to connect with people who think and look and live like us for the first time. And that's a voice that these platforms are giving us that we're not getting anywhere else. And so I've heard students actually say, I understand that privacy is a concern, but it's a risk that I'm willing to take for the great goods that I'm getting with. And so there's pointing things like Black Lives Matters movements that can occur in a world that's socially networked in the way that never could have happened in the past. And that's giving voice to people that previously didn't have, have voices. And so whenever we, we go down the doom and gloom, you know, privacy thing, I'm always like, I want to keep that perspective in mind as well, because it's, it's very easy for me to, to start putting on my tinfoil hat. In fact, that's one of my other Discord images is we are now wearing a tinfoil hat. So. <laughs> well, you know, I honestly, I love to play devil's advocate on this one, you know, because and I usually do when I when Skeef and I get into this, because I personally 
feel like your freedoms, your privacy, all the things that you want that you're used to having are not as important as what's best for everyone. And mm -hmm. we are constantly asking for all of our shit to be faster, easier, more accessible, this, that, and the other thing. But then we bitch when they give it to us and like, oh yeah, but we need to know where you are so we can navigate you to where you're trying to go. And like, what, you want to know my location? You know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, you asked for it, you know? And we are going to continue to participate in everything. Every single fucking mm -hmm. thing that comes out, we're participating in it. There, it could not be any other way. As a baby, my mom boots up the computer. I hear the beeps and boops, and I'm like instinctively, as a human, crawling towards that shit. You know, like we have this like deep ingrained like drive to connect with this digital shit, and it is not stopping. There's nothing that is yeah. going to stop what's but, happening. But, but there is, but what we can do is demand that they treat our data better, that they put yeah. more security measures in place to not leak our data and have these massive breaches where all of this stuff gets out and is then for sale for $5 on the black market. I mean, that's a little ridiculous. Plus, what's gonna happen is, Zuck is eventually gonna get old and die, Right? right, or he's going to retire, and some jackass is going to come in with completely different motives, or could come in with completely different, right, and mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden has access to this entire vat of the entire world's information, where they've been, how long they've been there, what they're looking right. at, what their preferences are, what they buy, what they so don't. So let me they... get meta, no pun intended, for a second here. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you have been down the rabbit hole, you might resonate with something that um, you might resonate with the term of the illusion of self, okay? We are constantly like, we, we, we view reality as like from this, per, like this subjective perspective, perspective. Through, through my own eyes, right? But let's just hypothetically say that we are all one. Right. Like, let's say that we're not a bunch of individuals who are all have our own private goals and desires. And, and then we're actually one consciousness that split ourselves up into a billion versions of ourselves. So we have conversations and there's drama and there's something fun to do. If that is the way reality actually is, then your privacy as we continue to plunge forward into all this shit is like kind of yeah, nil, you know true I mean? true but 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 not everyone is awakened to that yet especially these executives and you can't have one little tiny piece of that consciousness dominating over all of the rest of the pieces of consciousness you can't right you can't do that until everyone is equally like oh i get it right but i, right? I just see this as an inevitability you know like yeah, i see it as down like down the road towards that. sure what, what do I you guys think well, I think I think you highlighted that. Uh, you know, I, I like to say in, in engineering ethics generally, you want the ethical problems to be forward-looking, anticipating before the problems arise, rather than backwards-looking. And unfortunately, that that goes against a lot of our design philosophies, where it's like, let's you know, run the toy, see how it breaks, then go back and fix it. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about ethics, like people's lives and and livelihoods and well-being are at stake. So unfortunately, that sort of collect the data and then fix the broken pieces is not an option. So the yeah. kinds of conversations that we're having right now that are looking forward to anticipate these kinds of problems are the ones we need to be having so that we hope the person that replaced Zuck is going to have thought about that and had enough people like us concerned about it that it's on their radar as they're making these design decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it brings up a great point. So up until very recently, right, so in my own graduate study classwork, I never really had, I never was required to take too many, you know, most of my classes were all engineering, computer science, computer engineering. I had the fortune to take a really interesting class that OD offers. It was basically gender and technology, right? So I come in, just, you know, white kid, privileged, Northern Virginia, 
right? And and I've learned to work through that, right? Uh, by significant other really helping out a lot and get in this class and realize that kind of have my mind blown, right? And I'm like, why the hell is this not being like required? Like this should be just as fundamental as I don't know freaking calc one or differential equations to an engineer this should be right in there and don't get me wrong i had my my like one or two you know ethics and we're gonna learn about the challenger disaster and we're gonna learn about how we're gonna get better at that right and that's just this kind of tropes that i think these these schools are doing it man it really put a completely different spin on just on the design side like how i would approach a problem that i feel like everybody should be going through that and i want to highlight what you're what you're saying um dr kissel because right now it's really interesting i was following the uh, trends on um what's the most recent uh, zombie vr game is it the walking dead everybody's playing right now uh, oh my god uh, oh, dead by death no. no resident evil resident evil okay mm -hmm. so resident evil right you guys know exactly what i'm talking about people are doing the uh the boob grab right to grab their knife so mm -hmm. why mm -hmm. why did that happen we all know why it happened because a bunch of people designed it around i don't know maybe my body frame right mm -hmm. and they didn't think about how how are we going to adjust this for other individuals now if they had gone or had had a little bit of a more i don't, I don't know maybe training or they've been exposed to some of these other classes that like what dr kissel teaches in a lot of the humanities the philosophy side it would have never that would have never happened Right out of the gate, it, it's not about oh we didn't we had the wrong testers and no 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 it's it's the design when they sat down and designed this system of inventory, it never crossed the room because they had never been in that situation and they never exposed to that and they never had a chance to talk about that or or be put in that position, right? Because unfortunately, it's usually a lot of you know people look like me, it's a privileged yeah. person. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that's fine for me, right? It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, and you know and then you find out later and it's kind of turned into like a weird VR community joke. I think it's cool people are talking about it, but like. <laughs> It's wrong. Wait, yeah. so, yeah. so there's, there's, let me, I want to make sure I understand this. There is a problem with grabbing your knife from your chest. Am yep. I understanding that right? Well, because yep. females have, have an issue because their chest extends. So they like try to get and the they knife really and get they in there into because their boobs. Yeah. Their boobs yeah. in the way. their physical right. body. And it's also for, for larger chested people too, right? right. Whether guy, girl, does, it doesn't matter. Right. It's, it's that it was designed around a location on a body. And this idea about a body, there is no generic body. Right. You can, and, and there's, there's, there's yeah, tons of money. The military spent buku dollars back in the day trying to design air, air cockpits and NASA shuttle stuff to, about ergonomics and all this stuff. And, you know, knowing that's good from an engineering standpoint, but, you know, what you learn is that you can't really do for all. Right. You try. And what you find out is in this space, in VR, guess what we have the privilege of? It's virtual right give give a give an option right but again i don't think it ever came up i don't think it ever came up i don't think it was ever something because it goes back to it was a design problem well i i think it did come up and i'll tell you why because they do have another weapon system where you can either use that yeah. inventory yep. or you can hold a button uh that you can switch in the options you can hold a button and select your weapon via uh, a thumbstick movement it's less immersive it, right. but it does solve that right. problem it does, but and then you're not grabbing your boob. But the but the way that people want to play it is the immersive way, where you get to put your gun on your hip. You know, you get to um, grab the knife, grab the grenade, reach over your shoulder for your shotgun. Right, the other way just isn't as fun. Well, but, maybe not. Yeah, but but... yeah, and it's a compromise, right? And I think that gets at the heart of some of these things, right? And what I find right. very interesting, again, in, in these companies from a from an operating standpoint, generally they address that later. And, mm -hmm. and, and Facebook, Meta, Oculus is a very really good example. They, they showed today, today, and so they've had products out for years, 
finally some interesting hand toolkits. So from a developer standpoint, man, there's like a whole bunch of tools out there. You know, you can make your own, you can write your own, you can get some here. Uh, Microsoft's done a really interesting work on their toolkit, MRTK, and so, but it's always been kind of cumbersome. And mm -hmm. if you think about it, like, well, I, I shouldn't have to think about a keyboard or a mouse, right? And I'm doing mm -hmm. something for Windows. Mm -hmm. like, so it's, now they have this, oh yeah, we're gonna have better hand. And again, this gets back after like accessibility features that aren't built in. And even in our own project, we had to figure out like, how are we gonna account for uh, like voice and generally with like Android development or iOS development, you don't have to, it's, it's there, it's in the library. You just say, hey, I'm gonna access the Siri library, I'm gonna access the whatever, you know, uh, Google's assistant and it's there. But with Oculus up until I think this year, they didn't have a lot of that stuff built in. So it's just interesting, like even the, the damn leader is behind. So it doesn't surprise me that there are other, you know, teams and studios are running into the same issues. I, you know, I, I don't think there's a, I don't want to point fingers at people. I think it's a bigger, a bigger problem. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a design problem, mm -hmm. which goes back to, you know, not having the, the, I don't know, a good balance of people in there looking at these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there, so there are, you know, I think it's a more of a balance too of, of the people, the design and the cost. Right, because they're doing all this for like 300 bucks. Now, on the other side, we have Ultra Leap hand tracking, which can do occlusion. It's very fast and responding, uh, but it adds hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Right. So there, so there are technologies, but they don't fit into the uh, the price point that's needed. You know, uh, well, the Oculus, you know, the Oculus hand tracking definitely has a ways to go. Right. Dude, and I got to say, hearing Carmack talk today about some of the, like, behind the, you know, behind the curtain stuff at mm -hmm. Facebook, like, it's so refreshing, man. Like, it's so great yeah. to hear someone communicating authentically about their approach to stuff and how he's talking about, like, sourcing stuff for headsets. He's like, you know, yeah. like, it really helps to get a couple of them, and this is why, you know? And, like, he's explaining all that stuff, and it's like, okay, like, thank you for the perspective. Like, you know, we would probably like you more if you were a little bit more authentic <laughs> and like came, like, you know, we were for, more forward about your intentions with all of your decision making, yeah. Facebook. Now, one more thing I wanted to mention before we get onto a new uh, news topic, because apparently we're not avoiding going down the rabbit hole on any topic at this point. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but Meta, right? I want to talk about this name change a little bit. I think that they are hijacking the term the metaverse they're stealing of it. course they're taking it for themselves and for so long we've been using this word metaverse as this idea of this like open shareable amazing paradise where we can all go and spend time together and it's free and you can take the sword that you bought in game a into, into game b and it's not a closed ecosystem and it's all open it's fucking beautiful that's the way we've been viewing the word metaverse well, Facebook looks at that word and then they go into Webster's and they're like, dude, nobody owns this word. Like we can, we can own this word. So <laughs> let's change our name to meta. And mm -hmm. then when we launch our program, we call it the metaverse. Mm -hmm. Boom. There it is. And Imagine. it's not open. It's fucking closed. And yeah. everything that's in there is all in their little bubble. And it's not going to be this amazing free utopia like we imagine. But it's still going to be called the yeah. metaverse. And they're going to own the fucking name. They're going to now if, own it. Imagine if one company had the foresight to see how big the internet was going to be. They would have done the same thing. Well, that's, And that's exactly what Facebook yeah. is doing, I think. They are. That's damn straight what they're doing. <laughs> they are taking yep. this and they're going to they're going to attempt to own it and they want to be the name that is associated with this thing that is going to be yeah. where we all kind of live. Yeah, there's meta you know? and they have the metaverse. Yep. And that's fucking horseshit. 
I agree. <laughs> it gets into ownership stuff too, though, right? Like, like, what does it mean? Like, so, you know, there's laws, right? I can't just go across the street and like start spray painting my, my neighbor's yard. Okay, so in the metaverse, hypothetically, who's governing that, right? Is they are? Meta's going to govern that? They're having a hard time right now, man. They're, you, you, it's going to be, it's gonna be a bunch of that. programs. It's going to be a bunch of partnered creators who make programs that all it's agree like the to internet participate. you can't have one company that has a giant network and all the websites go to them and say i want to put my thing on your thing right i think you that's need, what they're trying to do i know that's what they're trying to do but we have to yeah, stop and, that, and we, that you know yeah, what I mean? that's that that see that's what i got was interesting is that they he they did talk about that and they were open about that and i'm curious to see you know it's one thing to say it it's another thing to start talking about like he mentioned interoperability i bring that term up again he, he mentioned that a lot because it gets after it gets after standards right and i hope that there's going to be a larger community that's not just them now they might be able to steer steer the ship because hey they're you know 10 million dollars a year burning money mm-hmm. um but man like you look at like what from again from so I'm, i try to put things from the development perspective just my backbone you know you look at open xr as a standard and so that took a couple years and that's just from a you know kind of hardware firmware development standpoint so then i can build a thing and hey if i'm supporting open xr boom i'm good it's gonna work on this headset this headset this platform it's wonderful so I'd be curious to see like how that kind of you know goes and i know there's a lot of work on the academic community there's a ieee group i forgot what they're called and they're, they're kind of helping with a lot of that stuff that uh deals with the standards there and so they finally got what a version one this year of OpenXR. So I'd be curious what mm-hmm. what is the equivalent, right, of the OpenXR for the metaverse, and how? Yeah, how are they going to do that, right? Like if it is the new internet, which I think we all would agree it it, it is going to be, because again we're going to put the old in the new, new in the old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's what it's going to be. How how it can't just be them. And then how are you going to have Apple? How are you going to have? Like all these big, you know, it's all going to be a lie, dude. It's all going to be a fucking lie. They're going to be selling the metaverse. They're going to be selling it as what we all view it as, but it won't be that at all. Right. It's going to be a closed fucking. Luckily, not enough people even know what the metaverse is. So there's still time to coin a new phrase that everyone thinks about this whole thing. And that's the other thing that's pissing me off now when I'm thinking about their fucking presentation today is because they completely hijacked Oculus Connect. Oculus Connect used to be an event for VR enthusiasts and developers to come together. That is what the event was, period. Now it's apparently a press conference to inform the uneducated public about what the metaverse is and what VR technology is. It's like they made this presentation for people who already know that shit. Who's watching Oculus Connect that's not a VR enthusiast? Well, it's like, not yeah, Oculus 20, Connect. Twenty three thousand live, I think, and I'm I'm going okay. Twenty three thousand live. There, there's your there's your hardcore community yeah. right now, right? But so that there, there's your numbers for everyone right? else. That's for the people who are going to Walmart who are trying to figure out what to buy for Christmas. You know, like those are the people who need to see that video, not us, not not mm-hmm. the not the Connect crowd. So they have yeah. like completely hijacked that whole thing, and they've made a whole new a whole new program out of it. It's not what it used to be at all anymore. I think they're seeing that that VR and and the metaverse go together and AR and it's all one big lump sum thing, right? Which is Um, why they're going to get rid of the Oculus name, dude. Yeah. Oculus is going away in 2022. There will be no more Oculus, which is super sad. It's an end of an era. Um, You know, it's, it's really, it's really too bad. I mean, it's just a name. 
It's Ultimately, a good ass name. It, it is. And, and here's the thing. I, I, I've said this a bunch of times today on Twitter and live chats, but companies spend their entire entire careers or their entire company lives trying to raise brand awareness, right? Oculus almost had it. Facebook almost, almost had Oculus to where people knew Oculus was VR. Mm -hmm. Like to a lot of people, VR is... Oculus. Oh, I'm going to put the Oculus yeah. on. I'm going to use the Oculus. Like they were this close. And now they're like, oh, just kidding. We're just going to throw all that away now. I know. NBA finals, yeah. Oculus logos on the yeah. fucking court, which blew my mind. And yeah. then they, in, Throwing they it all invite away. all of these Oculus ambassadors to their yeah. shit with, like a month ago. You're like, you're telling me you, you didn't know you were killing the Oculus brand a month ago. But like, what did you have all these hoodies laying around? And you're like, oh, how are we going to get rid of all these hoodies with the Oculus logo on it? Well, it's funny because when they, a bunch of YouTubers. when this, uh, when this headset uh, was leaked, which was uh which is the um the meta cambria the cambria, yeah, cambria the cambria right when this headset was leaked everyone was like why is there no oculus logos on this thing mm -hmm. well now we know it's because it's they're going to be meta it's logos on this meta. thing right so god that name sucks it's, i, do, it's think, be, I yeah. do think they wanted to now i think they wanted to launch that like I got a I got a ongoing thing right now with a buddy of mine. We we're we we're kind of betting beforehand. Like, hey, are they gonna now? Are they gonna launch it or not? Are they just gonna talk? We knew they were gonna talk about it because, like you said, it leaked, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when they they said everything twenty twenty two, I actually do think that is probably because of manufacturing right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, just just my own experience is personally trying to buy hardware through the university through state vendors. It is uh, atrociously hard right now. Yeah. everybody's it's just really bad so i'm gonna guess that they had an intention to probably be able to at least start pre-orders because mm -hmm. i haven't seen you know a lot of the content that leaked right i didn't see it did you guys see any no, of that in any of the didn't announcements show any stuff? of it no they might be pumping the brakes on it yeah i think yeah. they are and i think a lot of it has to do with like you said there is it's really hard right now to get to get stuff to get parts to get all the things they need to make this it, happen you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. I don't, I, I don't know what their intention was, but it's crazy because it's all in the firmware too, right? There's, there's all these videos with the, you know, using the headsets and, and uh, you know, showing people how to, you know, all the little tutorial videos and all this stuff. It's all in there right now. Uh, there is, there are skins that were pulled out for the in-game uh, use of the controllers and the headsets when they're, you know, so when you're looking at your controllers in VR, you see what the controllers look like. Those are all uh, textured and, you know, they, mm -hmm. um, and so all that stuff is extracted. That stuff is all in there and it's ready to go. How so about the, uh, how about like the, the case that she carried in, in the, in the connect? I'm going with that's like the Pulp Fiction case, yeah. and it's all of our souls in that box. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... wait, isn't the actual Pulp Fiction case just like a plain light bulb? Yeah, they left there, and there was nothing in it at all. It. I like that right. interpretation better. Well, it would have been cool if they just opened the box a little bit in the video presentation. But yeah, they make a point of like making you aware of it, yeah. and then did absolutely nothing. Like, is that what I think it is? And she's like, Oh fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> and then they don't, they don't look at it again, and we don't get to see yeah. it. Yeah, that was messed up. It was messed up. That was messed but up. But I think I don't know. Wasn't it supposed to be that headset that was in there? Because they did pull out that headset. Why? It's a giant box with that little tiny headset. There's nothing, I mean, there's nothing I don't in that know. box. It was all weird. It might I, as well have been empty. Yeah, I think on whatever planet Zuckerberg's from, you know, this was all proper marketing for his species. So yeah, for his species. <laughs> well, you know, you again, know. they definitely had some, you know, there was some serious, you know, strategy at play as they were. Uh, yeah as he's walking through you know their very really really nice office right there was a uh, intentionality there behind certain things in the background you go back and you watch 
everything you saw in tension. Now, every yes. single thing. Here's the most intentional thing in the video. All right. Now you guys, yes. you might've missed this. Okay. You gotta, you gotta have a, a keen eye to catch something of this level of detail folks. But you can see here, if you're watching this video with us, um, this is a picture of Zuck from his presentation today. And there's some shit in the background, right? This is like cryptic. Like you can break out like the notepads and like whiteboards. Folks, <laughs> we are about to uncover the mystery that is meta and Facebook. So as you can see, in the background here, up on the bookshelf, top shelf. Can we get a zoom in here, Skiva? Can I wasn't, we? Can I wasn't we... prepare for that. Oh, what the? F <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, if 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 Skiva cared about me, he would have had this set up. Oh, he's gonna do it. Right. Good. Oh, yeah, Just blow it up. Screw it. Just blow it up. Who cares? Hold on. On on the shelf back there, you can see a bottle of Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue sauce. Okay, and this is That's not an original. I'm assuming, I think this is original. I think that's some original Sweet Baby Ray's right there. I mean, you have to ask Zuck. He's the true connoisseur. But um, that's some, some Sweet Baby Ray's. And We're breaking that, the immersion here. That's not on, that's not on accident. Okay? No. This is a, a uh, this is like a nod or like an Easter egg to, uh, to this video that Zuckerberg made when Facebook Live very first became a thing. He was like showing off the functionality of Facebook live and he goes live in his backyard and well, Skiva, maybe you can roll the clip for us here. Hope delicious. <laughs> but hopefully for Canadian Thanksgiving, you get to eat a lot of sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce. <laughs> that is going on the ribs. Sweet baby Ray's. Sweet baby Ray's. Sweet baby Ray's. Sweet baby Ray's is very good. Sweet baby Ray's. Sweet baby rays. We have just applied the sweet baby rays. <laughs> sweet baby rays. Sweet baby rays. Maybe throw some sweet baby rays on the ribs and take it from there. <laughs> She's waiting for her ribs. I mean, she she knows what's coming. And sweet baby rays. There it is, folks. Some sweet baby rays. So this is some cryptic shit, okay? Because this video, I'm pretty sure was like is like generated by an AI or something, and it's like supposed to be normal human behavior. And now we see the sweet baby rays making an appearance in the background of Oculus Connect, and I'm thinking that there's something here. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. there's something that oh, we yeah. need to uncover. There's a mystery behind this. Yeah, so Mad taste. That's what, that's what the mystery is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sweet baby raised down but like there's a plenty of other better sauces out there <laughs> well you know i i need i need someone to like dive into it like write out all the letters like is it an anagram sweet baby raise all the way down the list you know like there's a mystery to be un to be unfolded here and <laughs> and we're going to count on the between realities community to help us crack the, the case here crack the code yep. so sweet baby raise <laughs> smoking ribs smoking meats uh the new quest this is all connected somehow and we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of it. It is. It is. Okay, let's get back on track. Oh, you're fixing the video. Yeah, I gotta stuff. fix stuff because because Discord for some reason is just um. It's it's my it fault isn't... for making you blow stuff up and you know get, oops, oops. get crazy with it. All right, there we go. We went three seasons <laughs> without showing anybody our green screen. I know. And I now know. on this season, it's like every episode. I know. I know. Seriously. <laughs> I know. So, I think you just said you like it when they give you a peek behind the curtain. I so do. So you're giving people a peek behind the curtain. <laughs> I do. You know, if, if anything to make it feel more real, you know, which obviously they didn't really 
spend a whole lot of attention to detail on their presentation for Facebook. So, so we did talk a little bit about, uh, about how hard it is to acquire some of this hardware. And maybe that's why um, there was problems with actually getting this headset out today or yesterday now that we're filming. Right. But, but, and that's, maybe that's why we're not getting it. We can't pre-order it. Um, but we do, we did get an announcement from another company just a few days ago um, that I was even more excited about. And, and I know a lot of people are very skeptical, including myself, but totally, but the hype level for me is really there. Um, so, so Pimax, um, let me get rid of some of this stuff. Pimax came out with uh, a presentation announcing their new headset. And I just got to read to you some of the specs for this thing because this thing is absolutely everything I think any VR enthusiast has ever wanted, right? This is called the Pimax 12K QLED headset. Uh, it's part of the reality series of headsets that they're putting out, right? This thing starts starts at $2,400, right? So it's, it's just the headset, right? Where's it end? <laughs> Right. So, yeah. So we don't know where this ends because there is a lot of modules, optional mo modules. But so this thing has inside out tracking. It has optional Steam VR base station tracking compatible with 1.0 and 2.0 lighthouses, which you can get in a, a, a separate cover for this thing to make it lighthouse trackable. It has full inside out full body tracking. It has facial expression tracking, lip tracking, eye tracking. 200 megahertz 12k qled display which is actually two stacked 6k displays right so you know how pimax works with with their with their <laughs> so math dumb. yeah they yeah they, they're a little weird like that but either way this is one of the best displays we've ever seen approximately 54 84 by 36 60 per eye that's an estimated thing uh we got 200 degree horizontal field of view with 135 degree vertical field of view and just so you know the, the quest is about 100 degrees right? so insane. so the, and full human um uh full human um uh resolution here is supposed to be the 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 degrees that you're supposed to be able to see in is about 210 so this is really yep. close to taking up your entire vision all of your peripheral For all vision and everything purposes, it will you know, right. like I feel pretty comfortable right. in the quest playing population one running around looking all over and it's that's yeah. like looking through a pair of binoculars compared to this. For know? sure. For sure. I mean, this is absolutely insane. It's got Wi-Fi 6E. Apparently it's got a Qualcomm XR2 Snapdragon uh, chipset that's going to drive all these cameras. It's going to make this uh, headset able to do uh, standalone gaming like the Oculus Quest does. Now, when you put it in standalone mode, apparently the field of view goes down to like 100 and 180 or 160 field, uh, degree field of view. Um, but either way, right, <laughs> that's still pretty insane. It has hot swappable batteries. 6,000 milliamp hot swappable batteries that, that are in the back that are counterweighted. Hot swappable being the key hot here. Hot swappable. Meaning that you don't have to shut it off to ch change no. it. You just pop one off, put it back in, keep cruising. Right, exactly. And and now uh, we've seen HTC attempted to do something like that before but you with the 5 Focus 3, but you still had yep. to turn the headset off, which yep. is not hot swap. That is not what hot swap means. No. That's HTC using terms they don't know what it means, right? But either way, so you've got an automatic IPD adjustment from 57 to 72 millimeters that happens with the Tobii eye tracking. You don't have to adjust your thing. It puts, puts those really cool. lens centers right in the middle of your eyes. Uh, it's got dual cooling fans. It has native uh, PC VR via a fiber optic cable. 
it has, uh, it's all going to have, I should say, with all this stuff, uh, wireless 60 gig, Y gig, 60 gigahertz Y gig adapter for wireless PC VR. It also has, um, it also has a 5G cellular model you can put on there to, to, to game mobily wirelessly from the cloud. Right? Can they do this? I don't. Nobody knows. I. This is this is what we're talking about. Like with the whole thing with with chip shortages and all this stuff. All of these parts are are all kind of hard to get. Right. Everyone is trying to get a lot of this stuff. They're, they're not. This Primax isn't the only game in town. Obviously, if Oculus is having trouble securing some of these things, I don't know how Primax is going to pull this off. I mean, this is absolute insanity. Well, now, what I don't understand if they're going to pull off is just something that works as they claim it's going right, to. Right, because they're, they're also saying that there is zero... Um, zero the, screen door. Zero screen door, but also zero distortion around the edges. Now, right, with, the, with right. the 8KX, there was this weird thing on the outside of the display around your peripheral vision that all, looked all weird, right? And a lot of people couldn't get past that, but apparently they're claiming zero distortion on this thing. So this is supposedly going to be... I mean, the headset from the heavens, right? I, I, I can't imagine in a million years anything else touching this for a very, very long time. This has everything, literally everything. It even has a panel you can put on there with full color pass-through for mixed reality display. Uh, I, again, you know, This Primax, is what has me excited about CES, bro. Yeah, because this to is going to be at CES, apparently. So Kevin, the COO of Pimax, confirmed right to me as well, that this will be there at yeah, that so, um, at that yeah, you're not conference, there, right? It's not coming out till the end of 2020, uh, 2022, right? Right. Q4 of 2022 is the supposed oh, release date for this thing. But yeah, that's that's how they're getting around the manufacturing side. My guess yeah. is it's really about for this thing. I'd be curious if just their power management system that like they must have all types of various ways to reroute power for all the additional attachments. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to, you have to be like from a, from an electronics engineering standpoint, that, that in itself is a challenge. Um, did they, did they mention the weight? I know you've got the counterbalance with the batteries. That's good. Cause I know this thing's always been a little, it does look heavy, right? Yeah. yeah. Now this is a lot thinner. The whole encasing is a lot smaller than it was in the previous headsets. So the weight yeah. is supposed to be down significantly from the AKX. But it's still going to be huge compared to everything right. else that's coming out at that time. Right. And it does have a new lens system as well. Um, it has what they call a bionic lens system, which is kind of taking pancake lenses in the center and then Fresnel lenses on the sides and kind of meshing the two together. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's it's all very interesting. It's all very voodoo. <laughs> well, I, I really can't wait to see if there is, first of all, if the prototype is at CES and what parts that are available on here? Will full body tracking be working? Right. Will all of this, like how much of this stuff will actually be working and that's, attached dude, to the headset? That's why we can't get excited for this yet. Because I, yeah. when I think about like getting hyped about headsets, I think mm-hmm. about like the, every HTC headset that's ever come out. Yeah. And yeah. HTC, or, uh, and the Reverb Since G2. Since Valve's involvement. And, yeah. yeah. And the Reverb G2. It's like the G2, everyone's so stoked about the fucking specs of that thing. And then it comes out and like, oh, it doesn't track. And it yep. fell completely flat. Like it, yeah. all the hype just pfft, off a cliff. No yeah, one it's uses still a it. beautiful, a beautiful headset, right? And HTC, I mean, um, HP actually just came out and said we just revamped the hardware. We made the the tracking better. We moved the cameras. We changed the cable on the thing so it has better support for AMD and AMD GPUs and CPUs. Um, and they and they did all these things to improve the headset. But but yeah, there was some there were some issues. 
Um, there might still be some issues. I haven't got to try the new one, right? But, you know, companies make claims that sometimes they can't fill. And a lot of these things are no fault of their own. They place these orders. Stuff doesn't come in because of chip shortages. There's issues. All the other companies are trying to secure these same parts. I don't know how they're going to pull this off. But when I look at this headset, and if I imagine this thing being real, I it it's I I want to like climb up on the ceiling and it, like I I get so freaking excited for this I can't even tell you this is the headset and I would spend double on this thing I would sell an arm mm-hmm. so, so well maybe not an arm I need that for tracking right yeah. <laughs> but, but give me or something yeah I trust me this full headset. body tracking full body tracking won't work if you're missing body parts right, right. You. Yeah. Track you. oh wait you're you're missing an arm accessibility out the window tracking now fails your leg becomes your arm like it'll be a disaster oh man but you know they they even touched a little bit um today on the in the connect about like that whole like implied movement kind of scenario and Mm -hmm. how like you have unused pathways in your brain and it's like before long you will be moving but you won't be you know like you you won't you won't need the arm you actually you'll just think about your arm and boom there it is working for you in virtual space like bci will eventually make that happen right but but that's a ways a ways off um the stuff that they're still talking about it yeah and facebook is using these things on their arms right go ahead yeah yeah so listen that that actually was probably for me from a tech standpoint was the most interesting thing because there's been a lot of companies in the last not a lot a handful of companies have been working on muscle muscle uh, signal processing mm-hmm. basically mm-hmm. and what they showed is very much of an advanced version of that and what it tells you is this right so who's killing it right now and the only reason i joined the dark side of apple is because of their watch yeah. right and so that that i was very very like oh oh nice okay mm-hmm. because from a human interaction standpoint from an interface standpoint it's more than just the watch it's the band the band you know and this becomes an input device it becomes another sensor you can also offload a lot of that. So if we know that you're going to have a headset, maybe it's got a bigger chipset in it, you know, another another sensor, another chipset, you start to offload this work and all of a sudden you can do some pretty magical things. So do he was doing the the the, the handwriting, right? Dude, if you guys caught that. He I'm so glad you brought that up. Yep. Yeah, that's that was really cool. That I that had a really crazy cool. oh shit moment when I saw that because the guy's just yeah. sitting and he's just sitting there and his hand is just like twitching. Yep. But all this yep. information and all this stuff is happening. It's like, holy shit. Like, that's some, like, Matrix yep. kind of stuff. Like, you're just twitching your finger, but, like, cranking out your thoughts, like, mm-hmm. really fast. That sounds so, so cool. So that sensor was picking up on the motion. So he, he was, it was actually kind of like you're writing in the same spot, right? So you're writing on top of words. Mm-hmm. And so as he's writing this word, it's basically picking up the motion. And then it's been trained a little bit. You know, and then as it's used to you, it'll it'll adapt to you. There's been there's been some other companies. Um, I can't think off the top of my head right now. There was an Israeli company that was doing um, typing, and they've been at all the trade shows where you you put this thing on one hand and you just start going. And there's different interactions for different keys. And after you train yourself to their way, it's crazy. Like it's you could just be fast. walking down the street and just freaking tumbling and tapping in your pocket, and this thing's like great. That's so you get, crazy. Get into the privacy thing. So that's that's the thing. When, and I've been telling some guys to work with, the watch is interesting because nobody. I hope. I hope the. <laughs> I'd say it now. You know, by fast forward a few years, it's probably I'll probably be wrong. If people are just walking around with their glasses on, yelling at them, right? That's not, I hopefully that doesn't become the thing, right? So you need a way to not air tap. Why? Because physically it's exhausting. 
So how are you gonna prompt the thing? You're gonna, you're gonna be doing this? Okay, I could see that short term. It's still tiring. This is tiring. Holding my arm up, doing this, clicking. You also, other people watching me, you know I'm doing something. You're like, what the hell are you doing, man? What are mm -hmm. you doing? Are you doing? Are you recording me, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But hey, if I got something on my wrist and I can kind of discreetly, you know, a little gesture, hand in my pocket, I'm, I'm fake type. Hey, I'm sending a message now, right? I'm, I'm sending you a text, Skiva, right? And, and nobody knows it, right? And so that's well, the thing. How do you get around these human interactions? We, because people I, I love where you're going with this, John. And I think that we are in an adolescence period where we are designing all of these new inputs, new ways of doing things, but we are locked in our primitive versions of our initial ways of doing it. So like the keyboard, for example, is a rendition of a fucking typewriter, you know, where it's like, oh, this is how we can think to, oh, you can use eight, 10, you know, eight fingers in your thumbs to, to do, instead of using this to write it all out. And we had to like rethink what it meant to organize a word because of the typewriter, you know, and like, as you were talking about, oh, well, you're writing on top of the letters. That's not how we write. That's not how letters flow into each other. An A needs to go into something else. So we actually need to relearn what it means to write if we're not going in a horizontal path anymore. So, yep. but that's not going to work because we're trying yep. to use an archaic method of input with a new idea of what it means to input information and it's going to be awkward and weird until we have this like breakthrough moment right but that's McLuhan right that's what we do we go oh I need to get this input in I'm just going to go oh I'm going to do whatever I did on my phone now in my headset so I'm going to be swiping right I'm swiping right. on my paracolot why the hell are we swiping the side of my face come on guys right. I right. think it actually might be might be deeper than that Alex like I'm a, I'm a little bit worried you know said once we learn how to stop using this archaic way of, of, of writing it's like the problem is like writing is not just like the way that I communicate thing like it's so deeply embedded in my cognitive architecture it's how I think like the, the coolest example I heard about this recently was students struggling in computer science classes with the notion of like file folders on their computers of organizing their systems and all these old guys were like, well, I used to pull my files out of a literal file folder. So when we transformed over to the computer, mm. it made sense to organize them as a file folder. And he was like, I was noticing that my students weren't doing any of their work. And then they said they didn't understand how to find the stuff. I was like, what do you mean? It's under this folder and that folder and that folder. And they're like, look, I'm used to things, you know, like Instagram and stuff like that, where it's like you put in a search term and then it's the thing that you're looking for is there. So it's like semantic organization based off of like the content of the word rather than organization based off of trees and files. So he started like having to teach file folder systems to his students because the tech they were using was still in file folders, but that like honestly meant like retraining their brains to think in this way. So if you're like looking for a person to adopt this, like you might just have to wait for them to die out before you can bring in the people that don't have that so deeply embedded totally. in their kind of architecture that totally. they can do it. Like, 100%. And I honestly, I, and now we're going to, we're getting ready to fucking jump off the deep end because I honestly feel like that is the case when it comes to all of the low vibe, low vibration bullshit that we experience in, in, on the day to day. When it comes to stuff like hate, racism, greed, all that fucking crap. I think that that's exactly what needs to happen. I think that that is something that used to serve people, that it used to be a survival skill to be that way, to be greedy, to be evil to be fucking hateful whatever like you survived longer if you were willing to do all this shit and i don't think that that's the case anymore but there are still so many people alive who are contributing to that 
energy and contributing to that existence that until they're dead, we're not going to see like any like. Big right. But and, and it's a smaller evolution, right? Where, where a piece of that disappears every time a generation goes by. And, and I, I often think to myself, well, imagine a world, imagine a time where, where people figure out how to be, become immortal, right? And they never die. That would be the ultimate curse because we would cease to evolve at right. that point. If you can't, you, because when, when you get to a certain point in your life, change is a lot harder and changing the way you think is a lot harder. So if you if you were stuck that way, how is the world ever going to get better, right? You have to die. Your kids have to grow up and learn a certain way. Then they have to die and their kids have to grow up and learn a certain way in yeah. order for the human species to evolve into anything any more than like, imagine if, if the people who own slaves never died, right? Mm -hmm. That kind of behavior would still be like, they'd still be fighting for that. Unless right? they had new information presented to them, you know, like I personally yeah. feel like I've had multiple metaphor metamorphoses in my life, you know, sure. and like I've but had it's harder. huge under like when I was mm -hmm. born, I wasn't thinking philosophically about shit, you know, like I went around, did stuff in my life, did some LSD and then the next day everything is fucking different, you know, and I'm <laughs> like completely looking at the world from a whole new angle and everything is different. I'm going to go back to the drawing board, you know, and I think I think we all have that potential. You know, I do think people have. The potential within them to get new information and to change but um you know to your point it's sure. going to but, take but a it's lot. easier to soak up data into an empty sponge than it is to extract what's in there and pull in new things right and you know but like you know to talk about uh dr kissel's um example there he's talking about how people use nowadays use a search function to grab the information rather than to navigate folders and i do both you know, like mm -hmm. I was raised on folders and now when I need information, I'll search it on my search bar at the bottom left, get to where I'm going quickly. And then from there, I'm able to navigate through folders, you know, so I'm not all folders or all search function. I'm going to take as much of all the information as I can. And I'm sure I'm not the only one, you know, there's a lot of people out so there who are able to this roll. Is a tech, this is a tech design thing, right? So really what it is, is it's the, it's the nativeness of cloud. Okay. So again, we, the cloud was, you know, what the hell, right? We're coming through where I have a hard drive, I have disk space, I have my files on my computer. You introduce smartphone, you introduce cloud-connected services and apps. A lot of those apps, you know, it's, it, they are storing data on your phone, don't get me wrong, but really it's, when you're hitting that search bar, it's hitting the cloud, right? And so what you're taking advantage of now is the fact that you can do all this ridiculous, massive, massive search capability lightning fast. Yeah. So it's that tech design that now has funneled its way into how I think about where my files are, where now they're not actually thinking about that, right? Like, like it's fundamentally, it's not, they're not asking, well, where, they, they, that, that question didn't happen, right? Like, that where is sense? this? Like, I think that's irrelevant. What do you mean, where is it? You just get it, like. <laughs> exactly, that's the thing. So, yeah. you know, we're going at it. I'm like, okay, where is this thing being stored? Okay, this is being stored here. I gotta go find this thing. Oh, in Teams, in Teams, I can just blah, 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 do a quick search. Right. Oh, is it in the general? Like I can't tell where everybody's with kiss when I'm like, oh, where did you put that thing? Is it in the general chat? Is it fucking search? Right. Because yeah. it makes sense, right. <laughs> that's where, what I do now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just eventually search, but you know, it's, it's by one, that's one piece of software. And so it's, I heard the same thing that he'd mentioned about the file form. I was very fascinated by that. Cause I was like, wow, you're watching basically cloud native, right? That's a cloud native individual coming in and saying, what is this bullshit folder shit? What is this mm -hmm. shit? This is, I don't understand that. And you're like, in my head, I'm like, what? And I stop and go, all right, well, wait a second. How did they, how did we get here? Ah, uh -huh, interesting. It's because I, th I think it's really cool too, the way that like, we tend to think of technology, well, if you're 
you know, like me, you tend to think of technology, like I come in, there's these tools that are available for me and I reach for the tool and I do the thing that I want to do with it. And like what we're describing here is like the way that like technology feeds back into you, it literally changes the way that you understand and interact with the world in a way that like feels fundamental to you now once you've interacted with the technology. But prior to that, it's like completely foreign. And so like a lot of these changes, like we can, we sometimes think of them as like, one of the themes that I'm hearing come up in like, as we're going through the news cycles is like, how do we communicate this to a population of people that are not already bought into this like VR technology? And this is a problem that VR has faced for a long, long time, the previous iterations, you know. Um, but it's, it's, I think, not just a, a communication thing. It's not just like, we need to make you see how the tool is benefits you, but it's, you got to get them in the headset first because there's that sort of change in your cognitive architecture that's going to start taking place. And that's something that you can't just be told about right mm -hmm. you can't just tell the students this is how a file folder works if they've never you know because they're not thinking in that space. like yep yeah for sure uh, i kind of want to pivot a little bit here because i i don't want to run out of time before we talk about some of the things that I, I feel like we really need to talk about um so you guys you guys have been working on a vr project right in order to understand um kind of how people make decisions when it comes to uh, wild things like life and death situations. Right? Okay, so let's let's start at the top then, right? Yes. Like tell us a little bit about um, the Virginia Philosophy Labs. And, and I'll start by saying, by the way, um, philosophy is like so fucking interesting. Obviously, you know, we all love it here. And um, you know, when I took philosophy classes, I took one philosophy class back in the day and uh, it was absolutely amazing. I loved it. it like honestly i thought i was going to become a philosophy pr professor i did i was like this is it this is what is worth doing having this conversation every day getting people to think outside the box getting them to question their reality that is what i want to do i'm a fucking modern day shaman they call them philosophers i'm going to go and do that shit <laughs> you know like i want to have these conversations and uh obviously you know i've learned to find a way to kind of keep that thing going without becoming a philosophy teacher but we have philosophy teachers here with us right now. So take us from, you know, at the top, tell us a little bit about where you guys are, what you're doing and uh, the goals of the philosophy uh, labs or virtual reality labs over at, uh, in Virginia. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I I'm glad that you had such a, a good experience with philosophy. Not, not everybody has that. Uh, I sometimes open my classes with a, a possibly apocryphal saying from Steve Barton. He said, Philosophy should teach you just enough to fuck you up for the rest of your life. Nice. Uh, and that's kind of the approach <laughs> that I try and have. You know, uh, people sometimes get frustrated in, in, in my brand of philosophy that there are very few answers and they come out with more questions. But I think uh, coming out with more questions to, to, to ask is a good place to be in because that's, that's how you know you're growing when you realize all the problems and flaws with, with, with your way of thinking. What, uh, um, what, what is your definition of philosophy, by the way? If you had to, you had to say, what is philosophy? Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. Uh, I like to go with uh, philosophy is the attempt to gain knowledge in areas where we don't know how to gain knowledge. I like right? that. Oh. So the thinking is like, if we've got a method that works and is giving us information, we build it into a science, we set the train running, and we start doing that very difficult work of you know, collecting the data, doing the research, formulating hypotheses, that stuff. We sometimes come up against questions that we're like, we're not yet sure how our methods in science glob onto this thing. And so philosophy is going to be like a toolbox of, you know, 
rules of rationality, distinction drawing, general trends and patterns of thinking that we say, let's throw this at it. And sometimes you shake it a little bit and a new science falls out. And we're like, awesome, let's go do that science. You know, but sometimes you go for thousands of years and you still haven't figured out the best way to keep gaining knowledge of that. And that's why philosophers keep disagreeing with each other for so long. But it's also why it's oftentimes the birth of a lot of cool ideas uh, that end up, you know, trickling into, into other areas. Well, and I like that you kind of have framed it as something that's like usable and like applicable and like, you know, like can be valuable, you know, because honestly, my personal experiences of philosophy have been I'm uh, like 99% recreational and then like 1% the idea of like, you know, wanting to like spread the gospel, so to speak, you know, or like help people <laughs> kind of understand that, hey, you can think of things this way or that way, or you realize people have been thinking for a very long time. Here's some of the best thoughts ever, you know, like that, like <laughs> that I love. I love that aspect, but I've never really thought about it being something that is like applicable or, or maybe even like needed as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a very useful way of, of, of looking at the world, sort of the tools. And like I said, there's a lot of disagreements. And so I'm sure there are, you know, 15 philosophers in the chat right now saying, this is all bullshit. That's not what philosophy is. Uh, I'll, I'll look forward to getting emails from them. Nice. Uh, but, but philosophy is weird because we can't be defined by our content, you know, if you study biology, then you go into biology. If you study physics, you go into physics. Like philosophy doesn't have content constraints like that. But then it also doesn't have method constraints because we do all sorts of different stuff. And so that leads to, to some interesting things. Like when I talk about the stuff the Virginia Philosophy Reality Lab is doing, and people say, well, that's not philosophy. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> what we've been, been trying to do, you know, I, I was motivated uh, – by, by a, a couple of different things. One being, you know, meeting up with some cool folks like like John and, and our, our third member, Christoph, who wasn't able to make it tonight. Um, you know, saying, hey, we do, you know, modeling and simulation and extended reality stuff. And I was like, that's really cool because I've been thinking a lot about uh, philosophical thought experiments recently, right? And so philosophical thought experiments are these like weird hypothetical scenarios that you think about um, in order to, like, analyze concepts and uh, uh, identify, like, contradictions and things like that. And some philosophy thought experiments have been getting traction in, in the news recently. Uh, so, like, one in particular you might have heard about uh, if you've watched The Good Place uh, or if you've learned anything about self-driving cars um, is this, this problem called the trolley problem. And it's, like, a really simple mm -hmm. idea of there's a train running down the tracks and its brakes don't work. There's five people up on the track ahead of you, and if you don't do anything, the trolley's going to hit all five of them, and they're all going to die, right? Um, but you notice, like, right next to you, there's a little switch you could pull, and if you pull the switch, it would send the train off onto a side spur, but there's one person on that track. And so you have the choice. You could do nothing, let the five die, or you can pull the switch, kill the one to save the five, right? Now, if you're like most people, uh, I think the, the data shows, like, between, like, 80 and 90% of people they say, I would pull the switch, killing the one to save the five, right? And the thinking is, like, reduce the amount of harm to people, save the most lives. It's simple math, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then you turn around and you ask people, okay, imagine that you're a surgeon, and you, if you perform a surgery, it's always successful. You got five people in your hospital, and they're all dying from some different organ failure. But they all have the same blood type. So if you could find someone to donate organs, you could save all five people. 
person with the right blood type just so happens to walk into your hospital, he's perfectly healthy, you realize you could kill him, harvest his organs, distribute them to the five people, right? And then you ask, would you be willing to do this? And most people say, no, that would be terrible. Mm, I like this. And the thinking is like, wait a minute, you just said, although it would be sad, kill the one to save the five in the trolley. But in the surgery case, you say, you know, don't kill the one, that would be horribly wrong. And so then the philosophers ask, so what's the difference? Like, we're like, what's the difference that makes a difference is the question we like to ask. And then we can pursue lots of philosophical conversations about what we would do. But one of the difficulties of this is like, I'm asking you to imagine this hypothetical scenario and having dealt with a bunch of uh, undergraduates who are all wonderful people and excited to learn, they're also extremely brave. And you talk to them and they're all like, well, I throw myself in front of the train so I die and save all these people, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and I'm okay. like, maybe you're a better person than I am, but like, I can barely like ask people not to speak so loudly at the supermarket. Like the thought of like intervening in someone's life that much sounds so difficult to me. Like, and I'll be like, hey, there's a fight going on at the end of the bar. Someone should stop him. Yeah, Not gonna be right. me. That guy's big. Like, <laughs> well, so the, the difficulty is, you know, you want to imagine these hypothetical scenarios, and I and I was like, well, why ask students to imagine it when that's getting in the way of their ability to ask these philosophical questions? We could use VR to sort of start to build this thing and maybe tap into their moral decision making a little bit better than if we're just writing down on paper. And John was like, shit, you want to train to kill people? I'll give you a train to kill people. So <laughs> Well, I think this is, this is brilliant, actually. This is brilliant because, you know, what I'm thinking about is like anybody who's ever watched a slasher film, right? Like you're watching the slasher film and you're watching someone get chased by the killer and you're like, why don't they just lock the door? Why don't they just jump the gate? Like you're like you're having all of these thoughts to yourself of like, why don't they do X, Y or Z? Then they'd be in a better scenario. But you're not getting chased by a fucking killer, are you? It's certainly easy to sit here with a clear head and say, oh, yeah, I would definitely uh, just, you know, pull that thing and boom, take care. Yeah, one versus five, easy. But when push comes to shove, would you? You think you would, right? Like we think that we're, we, we have, when we like think about ourselves, we think that we're awesome. You know, like you're not going like, <laughs> to like imagine yourself as like some like, selfish asshole who doesn't care about it like no like you like to think you're a good person you like to think that you're smart that you would make the right decision so it's easy when someone presents a hypothetical like this just in a conversation you're like yeah this is easy i can do the math just like you said but when push comes to shove and you have emotion and um split second decision making and like present moment awareness all kind of adding and like becoming contributors to your decision making it might take something like a simulation that really immerses you to start to get some data that actually is a little bit more realistic rather than just taking everybody's word for it. Well, yeah. and it's funny that you mentioned when push comes to shove, because the, the next version of the trolley problem that you have to do is that rather than pulling a switch, you have you to push a person it. into the path of the train to kill the one to save the five, right? Mm -hmm. And people are less willing to do it if it involves the direct use of force, right? Um, that, uh, than they are if it, it involves pulling a switch. But an indirect um, use of force, like, like a, you know, like a, like the mouth, like mousetrap or something, like you pull this, but it yeah. hits that and like knocks into that and that kills the guy. Well, Hey, I'm absolved. It was the, it was the bowling ball that landed on him. It wasn't my hand, you know? Well, and then there's this like weird sort of, uh, of of question they have to start asking themselves, where it's like we've got all this data that suggests that people 
are more willing to pull a switch than they are to push a person into a track, right? There's also some data suggests that they're more willing to push skinny people than they are to push obese people, right? Really? And so we have a just yeah. I'm safe. Oh, yeah. So we have. Oh. A... <laughs> <laughs> so they said if it's a skinny person with a big backpack or a very large person, you know, they'll push the skinny person. And if you ask people why, they'll say stuff you know like, well, he was probably going to die sooner anyways because he was overweight. Or he clearly doesn't have his life together, um, so he's less likely to have like kids or something like that than the skinny man. But like, really, what it comes oh, so down they're to more is that apt people seem to push to think... the fat guy. Is what you're saying? Yes. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, gotcha. So they're saying that you know obesity translates to some sort of moral failing, and that's kind of fucked up when we think about it. And so, although we know that this is what people are more likely to do, it also seems that like in a moment of cool reflection, we would say that's not the moral system we want to endorse, mm-hmm. right? And so then we have to you know to ask ourselves, you know. What do we do when we find that people think that this is morally important, but uh, we, as upon reflection, don't think it's morally important? You know, we've been Uh, talking, we talked earlier about stuff that happens on a subliminal level, right? And, like, experiments like this could start to reveal things about the subliminal that maybe we're not always really able to be be connected with. You know, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I'm going to say that there might be something instinctual or subliminal about the idea of you preferring to keep somebody who has taken care of their body alive as opposed to someone who has not. I think that being unhealthy might be morally irresponsible because if we are all one and we are all contributing members of humanity, then it's our responsibility to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves so that way humanity is good. If you don't take care of yourself... Do yeah, you, right? You and know, then what happens if I tell you that person had a, you know, maybe they had a, a gene issue or something and they had a, you know, some type of medical reasoning. It was out of their, out of their control. Right? And, and maybe, and like, maybe oh, so, shit, but calling of the fold, you know, and maybe so survival of the fittest, right? Like that's obviously not but, something we want to perpetuate. But in. like you said, if we all are one and we're here for, then it comes down to why are we here? But if we kind of push that out of the way, then I think we, we would, the 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 unified us is here to experience all of the different parts of being human including being irresponsible mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. not having self-control mm-hmm. and overindulging and, and some of the things like this right so so you know just like a lot of things in philosophy there isn't an easy answer right right and well and that's what makes this shit so damn interesting right <laughs> well but but notice what you were trying to do there is you're trying to say like look here's an apparently morally irrelevant feature of a person their weight and then you're trying to explain that in terms of moral relevance right you say like here's something that we clearly understand is like morally relevant is you know and so trying to like connect the dots you know but as we do more of these studies it's becoming harder and harder to connect some of those dots right it's it's starting to look like no really you just think that's gross and right. that's why you're claiming it's morally wrong right you they just don't like disgust it. response. Like we just right? we don't tie you like why are we looking so deep at this? Like you just didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, why do people think that incest is morally wrong? Yuck, right? Um and and but then again, you know, like that can explain why people judge it to be wrong, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we think it actually is wrong, right? So in philosophy we distinguish between descriptive claims and normative claims. Descriptive claims describe the way the world is. So I can say, Kissel is the kind of guy that if you put him in VR, he'll push people onto tracks to kill them, right? <laughs> it's describing the thing. 
But a normative claim is saying what Kissel should do, right? Kissel shouldn't push people in the way of train, uh, you know, oncoming trolleys because that would be wrong. It would be taking a life or pick your favorite, right? And so part of what we're, we're, we're trying to struggle with here is, you know, once we get a clear picture of descriptively what people think is acceptable, then we can turn around and say, do we want to continue to endorse that or do we think we need to make a change? Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we're building self-driving cars and they're doing, you know, these millions of calculations a second to calculate there's a sign there and there's a person there and they walked in front of me and then the car needs to swerve, but that could potentially endanger the life of the person in the car. Now we might have a real world trolley problem. Mm -hmm. And so if we say we've done the research, that means that whoever's, uh, whichever's going to save the most lives, we should do that. If that means killing the person in the car, who's going to buy that car? That's right? right. Right. Everybody says, yeah, I'd be willing to make the sacrifice until they got to buy that Bentley. Um, now, of course, the self-driving cars, people are very optimistic and they say like, hey, this is a technical problem. We're going to start making the car so that no one's life has to be in danger. Mm -hmm. And I look forward to that future because I do think I'm a shit driver. And I think there are a lot of bad drivers out there and self-driving cars might help that. I do think no. that. But as I was saying earlier, in the in-between, you know, we can't wait for the data and then make our changes on the basis of lives lost. Right. We need to start trying to anticipate these problems. And our, and our hope is that studying philosophical thought experiments through VR can help us address that in a slightly more ethical way. We don't actually have to kill people to find out what they'd be willing to do. Right. Um, so we just have to, you know, simulate killing them. This is, this is such good stuff. So let me ask then, you know, if, uh, are there things, you know, like, if it's victimless, is it okay? That's the question. Right. Because right now we're talking about a victimless experience like, oh, well, the simulation is something that we would not run in the real world because it would produce a victim. So we can run mm -hmm. a simulation that would produce no victim that will help us get some kind of data. And the question is, is there are there experiences that morally, even though there is no victim, should not exist simulations that should not be run? And if so, where do you draw the line? It's, this so, is an amazing question, Alex. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, go so ahead, John. I'm going to throw one thing in there. So there's been some really – there's an interesting uh, researcher. You guys have probably seen him. Jeremy Balenson. Um, he, what he's looking at is longitudinal, right? He's looking at longitudinal stuff, and he's looking at, like, can we, you know, make you – if we put you in VR in an experience and it, if you feel the change, right? It's so immersive. You've, you've maybe changed a little bit. What's the difference? if? I'll give you a YouTube video, all right? I'll show you some other content. I'll change the medium up a little bit. How do you feel about it tomorrow? How do you feel about it next year? How do you feel about five years, right, 10 years? And what they're starting to show is that when you're in a more immersive environment, in theory, we have a, a, a higher way of kind of impacting you, right? So he's talking about, he's really talking about from the positive perspective, right? Mm -hmm. But what's very interesting, and I find it very interesting, is, is their group also says, look, you can do it in a positive way. It means you can also do it in a negative way. Right. And so there's always been this kind of trope about video game and violence. Right. And, and, and especially in the United States. Right. Oh, well, all these violent video games in the 90s is causing why, you know, people are shooting people and all this back and forth. Jerk. And there's been a lot of researchers that says, actually really. No, that's not really the case. However, when you start to get in more immersive experiences, you are kind of hijacking the senses. Right. And so you get into this thing of like, what is like where you, you know, there are things you, you really should start to think about from a standpoint of like, is, is this the right big air quotes 
like game or is this the right thing like i'm going to put you in an experience that mixed reality and i'm going to scare the living shit out of you in your own home is that gonna is that gonna screw you up tomorrow like you can have little mini mini psd event you know what i mean like like post-traumatic stress because all the same biomarkers are there right and so i'll leave it that and then that's a good that's a good question really quick because because we did just have an announcement that uh, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas is coming to virtual reality, right? So this is this is just a perfect time to just throw that out there, right? That that this happened today because we are going to be going into virtual worlds in VR and be able to do anything to anybody, from running people over to to shooting, you know, cold-blooded murder to prostitution to all of these different things in a very immersive environment. Um, so this is this is a very, very, um, this is a very interesting question. And, and it's, I, I would be very interested to see the data on this. Will this type of thing, as it becomes more and more real, will, you know, would it have an effect on the way someone would do things in real life? Dr. Kissel. Yeah, no, I was, I was gonna say, uh, if you might see from some of my shelves, you know, one of the ways that I got into into virtual reality was was through video games. I was doing philosophy and video games and writing papers and doing research on this, on this very question of when there's no obvious victim, might we still be concerned about the morality of actions that take place virtually? And and, and I think one place to push back that John is bringing up is that we should keep in mind that a victim does not just necessarily mean the object of the violence, right? So there's a victim in the sense, like, if on the trolley problem, I push the person. There's a victim in Grand Theft Auto in the sense that if I, like, beat the virtual person. But there might also be harmful effects on, on, on the user, right? And what gets a little bit uncomfortable when we're thinking about virtual reality is that we've got a long history of not being okay, particularly in the research sector, with potential harm to the people we're doing research on. Right, so if you're familiar with like the old Milgram experiment, they make fun of it um, at like the beginning of uh, uh, Ghostbusters when they're shocking people in the scenes of Ghostbusters. But in the Milgram experiment, they're like, look, press this button, you're gonna shock somebody in the other room, right? And like, as they're pressing the buttons, they can hear these people like screaming in painful agony. And then like one time they like press it and they like scream and then the screams cut short. And the dude's like, oh crap, did I just kill a person over there? Right, and it's often cited as uh, like an explanation for like why the Nazis did their terrible things. They were just following the orders. So when you've got someone next to you saying, it's okay, just press it and cause massive pain to that person, you'll do it, right? But then this is a study that could never be run today because people are coming out of the study in tears thinking they've just killed somebody over there, right? Mm-hmm. And you can tell them, don't worry, it was all fake. You never killed somebody but they just learned something about themselves. In that moment when they thought there was another person over there that they were shocking, they are capable of killing a person on the orders of another person. And that is something that they now have to grapple with. And the weird thing about these virtual reality studies that we're trying to do is like, we're, we're running them on the assumption that we're getting better data about moral decision-making. If we're doing our job right, then this is more, this is tracking what they do better than just asking them to the face. But that also means it's going to be harder for them to lie to themselves about it. They can't say, oh, it was because I was in a virtual setting. Like In that moment, they thought it was real. And that's serious potential damage to them. And so independent of, of further questions about, you know, like if it's going to turn them into, you know, violent murderers or something, we might have to deal with, with this very question about, you know. Oh, yeah. And we're and we're not even hitting on like like so, you know, our experience is really more or less trained at kind of what we call the classic trolley problem. 
right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you look at, like, AAA games and what they've been able to do from an emotional story arc and narratives, right, we can all relate to any game that's impacted us in such a way that we still think about it today, just like any good story. And there's an impact there, you know? You, 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 and but we, were able, we still can kind of manage that, but with VR, you, you start to get a little lower. You're getting lower in the, in the, quote, lizard brain, right? And there's some interesting stuff happening where we just, I, I've had, I've, this, this project really opened me up to be like, I don't know where, like, and our, and our thing, again, like, I'm not trying to, you know, be, oh, go try our, our, our app, right? Like, there's a ton of things I'd do differently. But we, we talked about this a lot because, man, like, just, like, having, um, if we put more information on the people, right, we know that that impacts the study, right? So we don't want to do that because that's not, we can't then go back and say, okay, we looked, we're doing the classical problem. Now let's compare and contrast. We actually wouldn't have a way to do that statistically and data-wise. It would be junk, right? But that's kind of where I'm, I'm really curious there because I feel like if we gave you a backstory on some of these people, right, and you all of a sudden something connected, you connected with this, uh, this train worker, I bet you you're less likely to push that guy, right? I bet you're right. But if I just told you mm -hmm. that's just some random mm -hmm. dude, some NPC, you know nothing about it, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going push him. But yeah. if there's 20 yeah. minutes of story about his life and his family and his kids and he's working five jobs and all of a sudden now you're, you're going to shove this, you hesitate and you don't do it. And what I'm saying is like, I think that's a really interesting study. But my concern is exactly what Dr. Kissel said. I just push this guy and I go, I know it was not real, but man, like, I'm not sleeping right now. Like, I'm really thinking about it. You know, you get this weird, mm -hmm. you get this really weird place. But, I mean, and people are, I, I, again, I, we talked earlier, I don't think they're ready, man. I don't think people are ready. But should we, Meta's uh, ready. Do we, <laughs> do we, do we protect people from that? Do we protect people from the ugliness that resides within them, you know? Or is this an inevitability of us growing as people and connecting with the technology, right? Like, no one wants to have Great to point. stay up at night, but like, at the end of the day, like, that's within you. So, period deal I'll with you, it yeah. i'll tell you what i had i had an experience and i think i've talked about this before and and it does go a little bit with some of the news so this is perfect right where where blade and sorcery was announced for the quest today right i love Which, how you're weaving this in this is like really that? good <laughs> but but for real i had an experience playing uh blade and sorcery on the pc um and and it felt very real. I had the graphics turned up. I was in my index, and this was after they did that. In the uh, um, they did the patch where you could like grab a person and take a knife and slit their throat, right? So it was very, very intense. I grabbed this person. I wanted to try it. I wanted to see how it worked out, and and I I looked this NPC in the eyes, and I and I slit their throat, and then and afterwards. When I dropped the body, I literally had to take my headset off, and I had intense emotional feelings from this. Like it affected me in a way that I've never, ever been affected uh, by a video game ever before, right? So I totally, totally understand this because I, I have been in that situation where, like, I feel like my body and my brain told me I just did something very wrong, and it made me so start to wonder. Am I capable of doing something like this? Right? I mean, it's just—it's yeah. just a crazy—it's a crazy thing. I, I've put a lot of people. I've been in a in a pretty cool job where I've put. I've I can honestly say I've probably put over a couple thousand people in VR for their first time. Nice, right? Wow, I was nice. right on the edge, nice. and as a student, I was able to really have a lot of exposure. We had access to hardware, but a lot of people didn't even know what that heck it was. And most people, it was always this beautiful, like, they try to reach out and grab. That's, like, the first interaction. Mm -hmm. A lot of people talk about that. I had one person, one person, a very, very simple experience. 
had to kind of they kind of threw the headset off and they kind of went into a small I won't, I won't say full panic attack but had a small anxiety flare up and i was not prepared for that right and i actually i knew the person so i was actually friends with the person so, you know i was just became a friend talking with the person and they had a, a very solid five minutes of disconnect they for five minutes had this switch in their brain and it might sound like i'm making up crap but for five minutes this person was convinced they might not be real no, that makes sense. For that, yeah, and, it, yeah. and it, that scared the shit out of me because I'd read about this. I'd read about, you know, different experiences, forget VR, just different, you know, human experiences and, you know, uh, traumatic events and all this stuff. And you start to see that, hey, as we get closer to, you know, reality, we're going to have to grapple with that. Yeah. And, and is that and a good I, thing that happened to that person? Maybe they never had the opportunity to think about something like that before and question their own existence. Well, and, you know, and now they just got socked in the face with this. Not to, I don't want to cut you off here, but this is why this is, we are talking about relative morality because you said, mm -hmm. is this a good thing? Like right. a good thing, you know, right. like right. people have been murdering each other forever. It's a human thing. That is something that we have always done. And I don't know, I have a hard time seeing it going away. You know, like, I think you're okay, Skiba. I think For you sure. are. And I think that the <laughs> person who went through this five minute ordeal, I think they're okay too. You know, like I think they survived and maybe it was intense. Maybe you might even want to call it traumatic. But at the end of the day, they didn't die. Like they're okay. And they're going to grow as a person as a result of their experiences. We can't prevent people from having uncomfortable experiences. That's not something that we should be concerned with. I think discomfort and pain and all that shit helps people grow. So I think if you learn something about yourself by doing something like that, good for you. You just grew. And maybe you're not in your nice little bubble, comfy, little snuggly blanket, but... <laughs> We need people to grow, and it requires some discomfort every now and then to yep. do that. Yep. You know, VR, by and large, VR games, by and large, I'm going to say 80% of them are murder simulators. By and large, most of what we do in VR is kill people, either with a gun yeah. or a sword or, or, or yeah. it's a zombie or it's a humanoid of some kind. But whatever, you're cutting off heads, you're shooting things, you're exploding stuff. Like that is what we do by and large. And right now, as a society, we say murder is like the worst thing you can do. It's like the last thing on the list. It's the highest form of punishment is when you kill someone. But this is what I want to bring it back now to. Are there things that don't have a right to exist when murder simulation is the most popular fucking thing that we do in VR? You know, so this is something that is the the the, the worst thing ever, you know. And there's some people who think of stuff that would argue is worse. And, um, you know, we mentioned before the show pedophilia, right? Like some people would say pedophilia is worse than murder or, or you know, whatever. You or know, like rape. Yeah, or rape. Right, you know, like, like what if rape? you had a rape simulator? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's what I want to know. It's like if um, if we're allowed to share murder simulators with each other and spread them all over the place, like do these other experiences, you know, people doing like sexual deviations or something like that, like shouldn't these also have the chance to exist, you know? And like I think about stuff like pedophilia, you know, and obviously most people think it is the worst fucking thing in the universe. But you know who doesn't? pedophiles they are into it you know and i don't think so they want to be. clear to me as, as as a person raised catholic it's possible to do something and hate yourself for it as well 
So it's not obvious to me that True. pedophiles don't necessarily think that what they're doing is wrong. Fair enough. But, but there's an urge in, there. Right? There's an urge there that they cannot turn off, obviously. You know, like it's something that is overpowering yeah. because they know it's wrong, but they can't stop their behavior anyway. And what if so, there were immersive experiences that allowed people with this fucking fucked up perspective to scratch their itch and have a victimless experience? Isn't so there, they, this study that in they, philosophy... Right? Um, we're breaking Sorry, up. Go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah. Hold, hold on, hold on one second, guys. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, just cut this part out of the thing because we're we're all frozen up here. Hold on. I think. We're okay. Gonna... Are we back? Okay. back? okay. Okay. We're back. Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. So I was just. I knew you were about to say something, Doctor Kissel. I do think there is. I think somebody's been looking at VR with pedophilia and convicted felons, but I'm not 100% sure. It might have been something I was just reading about or I saw like a small conference thing about, and it got a lot of flack. I could be wrong, so I'm going to look into that. So I don't want to make a false claim. So anyways, so I'm, I'm not certain go. about that. I know that the Netherlands has uh, used, um, has developed programs with the goal of identifying and helping to rehabilitate pedophiles rather than... Um, uh, imprisoning them, so like identifying them ahead of time and then using various things uh, to help address those needs. But actually, uh, you know, Alex, it's, it's in in philosophy we call this the gamer's dilemma, right? This idea that you know, if you if you look at Steam and you'll see, you know, the Steam game shop, you'll see games and games and games of murder and murder and murder, and it's just an accepted aspect of our culture. And then you see, here's this, you know, obscure indie Japanese import rape game, and people say this is disgusting. Cut it cut it out of there yeah. and the worry is that the arguments you can give that makes enjoying grand theft auto innocent fun can also be applied to pedophilia in in, in video games virtual right. pedophilia and so the thinking is like something's got to go you either have to change your attitude about violence in in, yes. in virtual settings or you got to change your uh, attitude about pedophilia in virtual settings right or again this term's going to come up you need to find the difference that makes a difference such that you know, uh, in, in, you know, murder's case, virtual murder, it's not wrong, but in virtual pedophilia's case, it is wrong. But I think most of these arguments are predicated on the idea that, like, what we care about for morality, the only thing is further harm down the line. Like, we've already set up the conversation in the context of, like, identify the victim, and if there's no victim, nothing wrong. And... I mean, there are plenty of philosophical theories that think something can be wrong even without a victim. But I want to say just like some of us are already committed to the idea that like there can sometimes be things that at the very least we think need to be questioned for a moment, even if it's not clear that it involves a direct causal harm to somebody else. Right. Well, a lot of this is all conditioning, um, though, you know, like we're conditioned by our media and all this shit to know and see people getting murdered on a regular basis. So therefore, to us, it's not a big deal, you know, and I think to your point about like the religious community, I think that that's why pedophiles are so fucking prevalent in the religious religious community is because they set the precedent for that kind of relationship so early on in those people's lives that it seems like a normal thing. And they don't know that they're being taken advantage of until it's already fucked them up and it's way too far down the line you know so i feel like we a lot of a lot of this is just purely condition based and if we were conditioned to think one thing is okay and another thing is wrong then we absolutely would but this comes back to that distinction i was trying to draw earlier about the difference between a descriptive claim and a normative claim i can totally agree with you alice that like yes 
I can explain causally why people have the views that they have, because they were subject to certain upbringings, they had certain experiences at pivotal points in their life, and say that that describes and explains what they're doing, right? And yet I can ask myself as well, do we want to continue to allow it and endorse it? Should it be accepted, mm -hmm. right? And so, and in fact, we can use these things in concert when I realize, hey, when you're subject to these kinds of experiences, you're more likely to be a pedophile. And when you're not subject to these experiences, you're less likely. Then it looks like we should try and help people avoid the situations where they become pedophiles right. if we decide that pedophilia is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's where, you know, what I want to think a little bit more about is like, I mean, because this is really what, what ethics comes down to. You know, we oftentimes think about it as like, right or wrong in terms of like harming people or not. But when we're talking about morality, what we're really talking about is human flourishing. Like what's the path I want to be on to become the best human that I can become. And generally that means not harming other people in unfair or, 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 or bad ways. Right. But it can also require development of myself, you know, engaging in certain behaviors as helping me to be the best that I can be. And that's then when I come back to, you know, virtual reality, because it seems to me like it can provide us lots of opportunities to be the best I can be, right? It can teach me things. It can give me new experiences that I otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, have. But as John pointed out, that also means it's going to have the flip side. It's going to give me opportunities to be the worst version of me I could be. And so even if no one is going to be harmed by my pedophile play, if it's playing on a desire in me that I don't want, that I don't think is conducive to my flourishing, I'm, I'm going to be concerned about that, right? And, and the same attitude towards violence in virtual reality as well. Well, right? yeah, and that's what I want to bring up. It's like I, I don't have any of those thoughts when I'm killing people in Blade and Sorcery. You know, like I'm not thinking about whether or not these behaviors are conducive to my character and if I'm becoming a better or worse person as a result of what I'm doing. I'm just bored and I put the headset on and I did something. Right. But, but then this is like a, a classic move that we make. We say like, look, this is the virtual world, the not real world, the fake world, where I take on my fake persona and do, do whatever my fake persona would do, right? And we think that that's somehow importantly different from, like, the real me, the true self, right? The one that I use when I'm engaging in, in interactions every day, right? But, I mean, one of the things that I think we're learning is that this idea of a, a true, stable self that's the core of you, that's the real one, is a bit of a myth, Right? I'll talk to you all differently as I would talk to my parents, differently mm -hmm. from how I talk to my students, right? When I'm, you know, thinking about my philosophical pedigree, I engage in certain kinds of behavior. When I'm at the bar and trying not to be a pedant who's annoying to talk to, I'll play those down. I'm constantly shifting what my values are, what's important to me. And I think when I put on the virtual reality headset, I'm doing the exact same thing, right? I'm taking on a different persona, but why should the fact that this one is based in, you know, uh, electrical impulses in a visor over my head rather than carbon atoms and, you know, things like that smashing into each other change whether the persona I'm adopting is part of me. I, I just don't see that in a robust way. Well, and, you know, yeah. I, I got to be honest, like I when I think about the way I live and the way I experience reality, I oftentimes take this very like deterministic perspective where like i don't think it would have ever gone any other way like based on the life that i have i mean i know you guys know what determinism is but based on all of the things that have happened to me in my life if put into the same circumstances with the same outside contributing factors i will have always made the same decision because i'm constantly making decisions based off of my experience 
So I kind of feel personally like I am uh, almost like powerless to a lot of what's happening. And like, it's like, the, it's like the dominoes have already gone and it's just going and it's it's either going to be one way or the other you know like i'm not sure that we as individuals can do a whole lot to like personally influence it you know or like change it because anytime you think you're changing it you're just making a decision based off of new information that you've gotten so i almost feel like this is all like it's already done you know and we're just like kind of kind of wait and see yeah but happens. it's but it's your direct choice over whether you pursue new information to then um, influence yourself to make be able to make better decisions well and i would say it's not but i don't think there's a difference to the experience of it like the experience mm. is the same like we're still going to sit here and like be making decisions the whole time but at the end of the day like i do feel like there is something very perpetual and inevitable about a lot of what we're talking about and the way that this is all going to unfold but yeah, I mean, even if we're in a straight, sorry, John, go ahead. Well, as I say, you know, there's some full circle stuff we could bring in too, right? So, you know, I, I think about this a lot, right? So video games are always limited, right? Yeah, you have a limit. You can't, you can't do certain things, right? You have actions, you have inputs, right? I can pick up stuff, I can throw stuff, right? Well, as you get more into these immersive games, it's it's really like you said, they're, they're more simulators, right? So, hey, I've got a screwdriver and there's a screw over there. I want to go unscrew it, right? Okay, so if we're really going down the road of the metaverse, meta, and I have my virtual objects and I can bring them and carry them just like my book bag and my laptop, can, uh, can Steve, can you come steal my virtual laptop? But I thought this was supposed to be like, you know, recreation and mixed environment. Like, okay, so what is that? What does digital theft look like? I mean, is there such a thing in this space? And does it have the same meaning? Now, legally, what happens? Are you going to serve time for stealing my $2,500 NFT digital good the same as if you stole my $2,500 real physical good? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess it's on where you are, right? Like, so I, you get these weird kind of like full circle things. So I think a lot about that, about even this conversation. Like, so yeah, there's no, there's no outcome because hey, it's, it's just me. I'm just going to put the headset on and relax and just go, you know, have fun and not think and, you know, murder a bunch of whatever zombies. It's cool. But, you know, what if there's somebody else's zombies? I don't know. Like, it's weird, right? Like, <laughs> like that's still cool. I mean, it's a game, right? Just, you know, we could just reset. It's like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so, I mean, if, 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 our, if our ethical views are based off of harm to others, it's difficult questions we're going to ask about when somebody is harmed in a virtual setting, right? Um, but i think also i i just i keep coming back to this this idea that we we think that you know when i'm in the virtual setting it's somehow different in a robust way from the real world such that the values we would normally apply no longer hold and i'm becoming increasingly skeptical that that's a meaningful distinction at this point right like i appreciate that but I don't, I, I think I will represent the other school of thought, you know, and, and, and I want to, I want to move the word from victim to consequence. Okay. Because like, if I'm in half-life Alex, I can pick up a bottle and throw it across the room just because, you know, and then I just move on and that's it. And I don't have to go and clean that shit up. You know, like there's yeah, a consequence yeah. to my actions in this reality that we're all sharing. But in VR, maybe there's still a consequence, but it's far less severe, you know, and, and certainly yeah, one that yeah. I'm willing to accept. So what, but what happens if all of a sudden, though, you do it in the real life? I, well, I pay for it. I, and this is what I'm talking about with determinism, because if I do it in real life, 
if I'm like, I want to prove that I can do anything. I have free will and I'm going to take this fucking phone and I'm going to throw it across the room. I do. What happens? My phone gets cracked. Skiva looks at me like I have three fucking heads. He doesn't want to invite me over next time. I pay for that. And now I take that knowledge. And I think about what happens when I throw my phone across the fucking room and I don't do it anymore, mm-hmm. you know, but in VR, yeah, and that's because you have this previous physical experience, right? What if right. they're flipped? What if they're flipped? What if you're spending more time in this digital world? And so the lo- the rules that you are, that becomes your reality. It's so in the, well, in the virtual learn. world, I can do whatever I want. I can toss bottles. And then all of a sudden you're out and you're like, fuck this place. You learn at the same time. Now you're like, you go, you go to jail, right? You're like, well, but this is what I do. This is who I am. You learn this at is my the same reality. Speed because you either do it in the real life first and then realize, oh, when I go into the virtual space, those consequences no longer exist. Or you do it consequence free in the virtual world until you have the balls to pick the thing up and throw it. And you learn very quickly right then and there what sucks about throwing your thing in the room and from that point on now that you have that real life experience you'll know you know so yeah. i think but you learn what, what if i challenge your starting premise that what's required for right and wrong depends only on consequences right why should why should i accept that wait why should i think that our understanding of right and wrong only depends on consequences so uh think about it this way right um uh i do some horrible thing thinking that it's the real world, but it's actually a virtual world. And we pull you out and I say, ha ha ha, it was a prank. You didn't know it. You were in a virtual world the whole time. But now I've learned something new about you, right? You're an asshole who's willing to do that horrible thing when you think it's the real world. And so I'm going to say you've done the wrong thing, even though there was no negative consequence, right? And so, I mean, it's part of me starts to think like we can differentiate between judgments of actions, whether they're right or wrong, and we can uh, and judgments of people, whether they're good or bad, right? And so may, maybe a way of putting this is perhaps there aren't wrong actions in virtual reality because there's no negative consequences in the same way in the real world. But there's definitely still going to be bad people in virtual reality. Well, and virtual reality is going to help us know who those people are. Let's take it a step further. And there's going to be good people too. What if there's no right or wrong period? And there just are things that have certain outcomes. And we make our decisions based on what those outcomes are. Now, let's not even call it consequence. Let's just call it outcome. Like you do something, it has an outcome. And you make your further decisions based on what that outcome was. When I go into VR and I'm playing Half-Life Alex and I throw a glass bottle, what's the outcome? It shatters on the wall. It made a cool sound. That's it. I move on. I go into the real world. I pick up a bottle. What's the outcome? Smashes against the wall. Makes a huge fucking mess. Breaks me with some broken glass. Cuts my finger. You know, like... Though that that kind of stuff is what's going to help shape my decision making, regardless of what's right or wrong. What happens if if I'm able to to pay Meta? I'm a company. I'm gonna hey Meta, I'm gonna give you some money. Give me the give me the profile of this individual on their VR experiences. I'm gonna make my decision factor on whether I'm gonna hire that individual. That's gonna suck. Mm, interesting. <laughs> so you might still, but so but like you said, like it's it's still now we're still dealing with a consequence. But like, hey, that's a very real way of maybe getting some inside information on like what this person may or may be willing to like do so and we who, and we would say oh yeah but it's virtual like they were just blowing off steam right well, boys being boys right well so, and so who you has, get this weird, like dilemma of like who has the right there do i have the right to be private about how much of an asshole i am or do you have the right to know fully right. how much of an asshole no that's I a am. great point that's a great point like the 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 self i show to me i don't show it to anybody else right the self i show to the public the self i show right like what kiss was saying i'm, I'm going to be different in the bar i'm going to be different here right but like i don't actually have that right in this space and maybe right and that kind of what we we're 
Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't. Like the people who who fight the hardest against stuff like privacy and location and all that shit are the ones that have the most to hide. I like, disagree with I know, that a I know, thousand I, I billion know, percent. I know you do, but <laughs> but, but I cringe too. But, yeah, <laughs> but, but there there is. You can't tell me there's not something to this because there really is. Like if trust me, there's something to that. I know why you don't like it. Who have been hurt the most? by the system are the ones who are most concerned about their privacy. Yes. I, not necessarily correlate to go. having something yep. to hide. Right. Fair, and fair enough. Uh, you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, it sucks. To, but I just want it. I, however, I have to say it. Okay. I want it to be known that there's people who are doing shit that they fucking shouldn't. And they're bigger assholes than they let on who, and they don't want to be exposed, right? Like there are people yep. who will be exposed by this kind of thing going forward who are doing way more harm than we know about. And I personally yep. have no problem with exposing these kinds of people. If you are an asshole, maybe everyone deserves to know it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's, it's, it's dangerous. It's, it's a very interesting point. Yeah. It is an interesting point. Although I disagree with it completely. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe you're a fucking asshole. Maybe I am. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe we I should am. get the truth out of you. Just like I'm able to like I'm able to see. Oh, I'm able to get a quick snapshot right from some company off of your your habits and gaming or what you think like what you think. And this is the stuff that's being built behind the scenes, right? And and so you got to throw Microsoft in there too, right? So like these big, big studios that are kind of these platforms, you know, if Meta is a platform and they want to be open and everybody gets to come hoo yah da 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 man, the insight they're going to know about yeah. people and, like, who, where does that go? Where's the transparency with well, that? Can I get a snapshot of what you think about me? Because that's how the rest of the world might judge mm -hmm. me. <laughs> yeah, a little bit further and the amount of, and the information will be very profound. But, like, right now, you already have people getting fired over shit that they post on Facebook or, you know, old photos that that employ. Like, they're going to look at your social Private media. group chats. So right? that's already there. You know what I mean? Like, they're, yeah, they're, this yeah. is already that's, an action. And it's just, I think it's just going to escalate. Like, you're going to totally. find people that are like, you know, yeah, we had to get rid of that, that guy. Wow, he was, you know, he was killing off too many of these NPCs. And we were really worried he was going to have a, a moment where he's going to try to come in and take us out. But and you don't like, think what you don't think we would have, like, accurate representations of what that data means? You know, like, we, like we wouldn't be able to say, okay, you know, this doesn't necessarily translate to X, Y, or Z. No, I think, I think, that's, I think that's all the – I think that's really where all of it is, right? Like, it doesn't – this gets into the whole, like, minority report thing, right? Yeah. Like, Oh well, you know we know you were gonna do it, but I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. But we know, you know what I mean? Like that's such a good movie. God, fucking Minority Report is a great movie. <laughs> it's a great trope to throw in for for VR stuff. You know, everybody else uses it. Why not? Mm -hmm. It's so good, and, and and it really is applicable. You know, especially as you know, we talk about how these companies will learn us better than we know ourselves. They have all the subliminal information, and they know. They really they'll know shit. They'll know shit you don't. I think Facebook touched on that a little bit today about how they're melting the real world and the virtual world together with augmented reality. And should they be the ones collecting the data of the things that you're also doing in the real world? And then, you know, you know how like uh, right now in Horizons, it, it takes a, a buffering of, a, of a, uh, I can't remember how long it is. Let's just say 15 minutes, right? And then when someone gets reported, then the last 15 minutes of your interactions get sent back to Facebook and then they deal with your account accordingly, right? But that is also going to very soon within the next decade or so obtain, you know, that's going to be relevant to the real world as well. The, the devices, the augmented reality devices and the things you're going to be wearing will also be 
could also be recording. And then if something happens, it could send back. And right? it'd be less separate. Right, right. Now, VR is so separate, but right. in the future, it's all going right. to start melting together. Right. Yeah, and then look, throw it even further, right? I uh, I treat my digital assistant like shit sometimes, right? right? And I just <laughs> yeah. throw a bunch of derogatory terms out there because that's eh, whatever. It's my, you know, I can't say the name because she'll come to life in here. I already referenced, you know, female pronoun, right? <laughs> so what happens if, if you've got enough data on me and I'm going to be away, I'm at work, but hey, you can interact with the NPC of me and right. you know it. Let's say mm -hmm. you know. You know you're not talking to the real John. Oh, fuck you, John. You piece of shit. Fuck you. Fuck you. Right? Like, I just know it. Like, that's, like, there's, a, there's some weird dark humor there. But, like, that's, like, so what does that mean? Like, hey, don't, don't verbally abuse the, my digital twin of me. Come on. That's not right. <laughs> but they do it because You wouldn't say that to my face. Why would you say it to my digital twin's face? Because, because it's victimless. That's why. And, and it's the same reason why people did it when AIM, when, what was that shit on AOL called? It was like AIMBOT or, I don't know. There's some, AIMBOT, yeah. Yeah, wasn't that? And mm -hmm. there was some fucking bot on AOL that you could, it was like an AI and it had like a bunch of predetermined responses. And what's the first thing everyone does? They just start saying the most yeah. hilarious and horrific shit to it. Yeah. Because it's funny to see its responses and like, you know, like, okay, did they plan for this? Did they plan for that? And like, you're testing it. You're like pushing the buttons. It's like the kid who like, keeps punching his dad in the face, even though he dad would could kill him in a second, you know, like yeah. he's pushing it. He's pushing the limits. He wants to see how far he can go. And I think that's what we see here. Yeah. And I think uh, it's almost time to go because discord keeps is, is really giving us the hints by freezing the video so often here. And I can't keep up with trying to get it back. Right. And, and we are definitely we're yeah, we're past, two hours way now. past the time here. Um, but this has been such a great and thought-provoking conversation and i and you know kind of um to to dr kissel's point earlier like philosophy at the end of the day is almost maddening because like you have this great rich conversation full of awesome perspectives and at the end of the at the end of it you just have more questions more stuff that's unanswered and almost feel like you have less of a grasp over the whole thing but mm -hmm. uh, there's a reason to it and there's and there are you know, there's uh, there's there's something valuable that comes out of having these conversations. So I'm I'm really really stoked that we had the chance to do this with you guys today. It was a wonderful time. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, um, wow. Yeah, maybe uh, can, maybe can each I just of you throw can... out that it's really weird that I've been called Doctor Kissel this whole time because even my students don't call me that. I I normally just go by Kissel or Andrew. It's been very odd to me this whole time. I don't know where that came from. Well, <laughs> one of us started it. Yeah, you know, John started it, and uh, we <laughs> want to give the respect where it's due. You know, and at the end of the day, yes. we don't have a lot of philosophy doctors in the VR space to like fucking <laughs> spread some gospel and truth up in here. So we're going to take advantage of the opportunity to make it as official as we can. Um, <laughs> maybe each of you can kind of just give us some uh, some closing thoughts before we before we get before we get ready to um, kissle. You want to start? Oh, Jesus. Closing thoughts. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for talking to me uh, and, and John about this. Uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, we'll get to continue conversations in the future, whether it's here or one-on-one or -on -one afterwards, about uh, that privacy and the creation of self in virtual spaces. Because sort of the one thought that I had at the end that I, that I didn't get to throw in was this idea about uh, controlling the flow of information to me is a way that I create my own identity, right? As I was saying earlier, I talk to my parents differently than I talk to you guys, than I talk to my students, and that control of your vision of me all taken together is my identity. 
And when you take that power to control access to information about me, you're actually taking control of my identity, not just information about my identity, because that is what I am. And so in that sense, I think virtual reality has a lot of really cool opportunities to learn more about the way I create my own identity. And that can be a very good thing. And that could be a very bad thing. And I'm okay with sticking with those sort of normative terms. We can fight later about what would be good or bad, right or wrong for us. But, <laughs> I think you know, we will. I think uh, we will. I, I think it's really exciting. So thank you for letting me talk about that stuff with you. Absolutely. Awesome. No, this has been fantastic. Uh, just, again, thank you all for having us on. And to, to kind of go and support what, uh, what Dr. Kissel was saying, um, <laughs> I like to now use this concept of, like, why own the real world when the virtual world is way cheaper? Right? Why own the real me when we can just rip rip me, right? And own the virtual me, right? And that's what you're watching. And it's gonna continue to happen. I don't wanna end on a doom and gloom note. So that being said, I hope these types of like conversations keep going and I know they'll keep going. And I hope there is a lot more transparency with some of these services. There are, I think, models forward that let us have that control to some extent. And I think there's ways in which we are okay with giving away some of that privacy, as long as we know, right? I think it's just really about knowing and giving the controls back to the individual to some extent, right? Like, should I be able to erase myself online if I want to, right? And you see this with Google search and things like that. So the, I think it's just gonna be an evolution of that and a continuation of that. And I think we'll eventually get it. I do, I have, I have, I have good, good hope there, but it's gonna be uh, interesting times in the middle. That's for awesome. sure. We're gonna well, be here for it. Will, uh, if someone wants to participate in this virtual reality train study, uh, are they still able to do so? Yes, they can. I think uh, the easiest place to go is either our SideQuest page where we've got our, our Quest version there and our GitHub. We just added our, our PC build for Oculus Rift, Rift S, and Tethered Quests. Um, and, and, so, we'll, and we'll have a really cool open source version of that uh, by the end of the year. So for people that just want to go take it and go make their own and play around with it, that'll, that should be done by the, uh, by the end of the year. Nice. If you have nice. ideas about how you want to kill people with trains, we're going to help you do it. So. <laughs> Amazing. I, I have the links in the description below. So if you guys do want to go and participate in this study, it's really cool. I did it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what I chose, but I want to see uh, what you guys choose. So go ahead and uh, check it out. John Scholl, Dr. Andrew Kissel from the Virginia Philosophy Reality Lab. Thank you. We are going to be following you guys. What You've got a great start right now. Keep the foot on the pedal. Please, let's continue to do this. Um, we know that you'll come and join us on the show again in the future to tell us more about the research you're doing. And uh, who knows, maybe by then we'll have something conclusive that we can use to kind of launch us into this uh, next phase, right? Definitely. Sounds good. Yeah, we'll hopefully have that for you. Thanks so much again, guys. Thanks, Virginia guys. Philosophy awesome, guys. Reality Lab, thank you so much. And everyone say goodbye to them as we eject them from the Between Reality ship. And just bye -bye. like that, they're gone and uh, not to be seen again until we call upon them in the future. <laughs> that was awesome. This is one of those conversations that I get so sad that we have a time limit. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like I, this would have been a great four or five hour conversation just selfishly for myself because I'm enjoying it yeah. so much. And it's really too bad that sometimes we have to cut these things. Well, you know, we let short. it go longer than we normally do. And yeah. I'm fine with that because these are the conversations that this fucking podcast was literally created to have. Like this is what we are talking about people. Yeah, sure. Video games. Yeah, sure. You know, hardware whatever but no self like 
morality, ethics, like that is really what we need to talk about as we enter this space because this shit is profound and you all know it. So let's stop jerking off here and get to some serious <laughs> shit because it's not going to be long before we don't have as much input and pull as we currently do. This is a small and intimate community and right now our voices are being heard. Regardless of whether or not we are getting the recognition, they are being heard and we are it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that we do everything we can to, um, to keep the space Keep this a safe space because shit's going to get super crazy. What's going on next week, Skiva? Next week, we have our good friend VR with Jasmine. And oh. she's going to be coming on and kind of sharing some of her experiences with all of this stuff. Um, she also works in the technology field. Um, but uh, she's just a great person. She's a content creator. She's a, a YouTuber and a Twitch streamer and a, a Beat Saber player competitively. And, and in um, the past, she's just awesome. Like six months or so, has really like done a lot to yeah. kind of introduce herself to the VR community and make her voice heard and, and participate in everything that everyone's been doing. I see her in live chats of other streams all the mm -hmm. time. I see her on Twitter all the time. Um, and now she's going to be on Between Realities. And we are definitely excited to have jasmine vr with jasmine join us next week cool on friday right live heck yeah everything's yep yep oh and also go down into the uh description uh because next weekend we will have a show before this but next weekend there's going to be a contractors tournament using the cyber shoes but that's open to the public so you can go down there click on the link uh join in and you can win some really cool nfts uh and the first place being a digital skiva nft which is really weird to say it's kind of tell funny. us more about that next week yeah absolutely. like and subscribe <laughs> go on our fucking discord and come hang out with us uh we will see you guys next week enjoy your weekend have a great one see you later Bye -bye. <laughs>